thing happened to me while I was digging through a uh, back issue box the other day. I realized that uh, not only am I X-lapsed, I'm also uh, major X-lapsed. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode one of Major X-lapsed. It's going to be a uh, short side series to uh, the main X-lapsed program, uh, Probably drop one of these a week for the next several weeks here as I work my way through this uh, somewhat bizarre and divisive little series on my journey back to uh, X-relevancy. This is an X-book, and uh, it's one that I almost completely forgot existed. Um, I remember there was a a little bit of a to-do about it last year. Um, Some of my friends actually were very, very excited for it. I took a little while to come around to the idea, not out of any sort of, I don't know, knee-jerk distaste for it. I was just very happy not reading Marvel books at the time. I had uh, left my Marvel fandom at the door and uh, had uh, gone elsewhere for my four-color entertainment, so didn't want to get sucked back in. And uh, by the time I came around to the idea of trying this book out... It was like a week old, and it had already like skyrocketed in value. I remember seeing people, you know, putting it up on auction sites for like twenty, thirty bucks. It was ridiculous how quickly it went up, and it really speaks to the uh, speaks to the power of Liefeld, doesn't it? Where uh, this is a fellow who can make pretty seismic waves in the sales charts. So that's a uh, that's pretty cool. Um, but I figured eh, I missed it. You know, I missed my shot, and. Uh, then I kind of just forgot about it, and I feel I feel like a lot of uh, the fans kind of forgot about it. This was pretty huge news for uh, like the week it hit, and then it kind of just went away. I, I couldn't have told you how many issues this thing ran. I couldn't have told you much about it. Um, even on the main X lapsed program, I assumed that Major X was going to be revealed to be Young Cable, and I thought that's how the whole Young Cable thing happened, uh, was as a result of the Major X series. And I was advised, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. So uh, I kind of just filed it away in the back of my mind and figured one of these days I'd get around to it. And as luck would have it, I was flipping through a back issue bin the other day at a local shop, and this was a... Uh, this was like the back issue bin that's at the very end of the back issues where nothing is sorted. It's like all the new stuff they just got in that they're that they haven't yet filed, right? So I'm digging through and uh, cuz I'm looking for titles for another project I'm working on which are fairly recent books within the past couple of years. So I figured, hey, maybe they'll be in there and uh, they weren't, but lo and behold, 
Major X number one was in there, and it was only $6. And I assumed, I'm like, oh, this has got to be like a second, third, or fourth print. But no, it was the first print, six bucks. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. So I figured, what the heck? (laughs) I'll give it a shot. And I've run into, uh, like, subsequent issues of uh, Major X at various places, used record stores, bookstores, you know, even the regular comic bins. And, uh... For me, I'm like an all-or-nothing kind of guy, and I figured if there's no way I'm going to be able to find issue one for a reasonable price, then I don't need to own any of the rest of it. And maybe I'll just buy a trade somewhere down the line. But uh, but no, I came across this first issue and was very excited to find it. And uh, was able to fill in the rest of the run for a, a reasonable rate. So I was happy to do so, and uh, I was very excited to, to check this out. It's been a long time since I've read... A Rob Liefeld book And uh, I know there's probably people rolling their eyes right now But uh, Rob Liefeld is a uh, Is a sort of comfort food for me Coming up as a 90's Fan of comics, a 90's X-Men fan And an early image fan For that matter, so This is a, uh, a source of comfort food For me, and uh, I was really looking forward To finally seeing What the big deal was, you know um, I'd heard I'd heard Good things in that it's exactly what I would be expecting it to be And I've heard bad things in that Well, it's exactly what you'd expect it to be So we're going to find out exactly what that is Right now, when we read Major X number 1 This had a June 2019 cover date Words and pencils, Rob Liefeld Inks, Rob Liefeld, Adalso Corona And uh, Dan Fraga, old Fraga boom, huh? Colors, Romulo Fajardo Jr. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski. Cover price, $4.99. This one went on sale April 3rd, 2019. Now we open at Xavier's, and there's a narration box titled Traveler's Log Number 0-1991, which introduces us to a force to be reckoned with. Shatterstar and Domino have been taken out, and we flip the page to find the man responsible. This is Major X, and he currently has his foot pressed into Cable's face. Before we go any further, though, let's let's get into this a little bit. I love the use of 1991 in the Traveler's Log, um, and it's mostly clear here that this story is taking place back in the long ago. Now, if I'm remembering right, and I very well might not be, the X-Books with a cover month June 2019, like this book... I want to say they were in the early bits of the Age of X-Men crossover event, so it's not really like, you know, we could really be working with a then-current, you know, timeline here. Um, Now, the X-Force members we see here, they're in their, like, New Mutants number 100 era attire, which further helps to inform us as to, like, the when of the story. Um, Major X's design, I can't help but to like it. Uh, I mean, I don't want to come across as an apologist or anything, but... uh, it's a decent enough a design here, um, and I assumed from the color scheme, this is like when it was first being solicited, you know, as a uh, as this miniseries. I assumed he was going to be revealed as a take on Deadpool. Um, the helmet here is evocative of Cyclops's very unflattering X visor from the post Avengers vs X Men era, but is a you know bullet shaped helmet rather than a face hugging head sock. I think it works better this way. Back to the story, Cable warns the kid to give up before things get further heated. Major X reminds him that he just got his butt kicked, and uh, he asks what year it is. 
Thankfully, the Marvel sliding timeline precludes Cable from actually answering that because it'd be kind of tough. A gray-furred beast then breaks into the conversation, informing the Major that there are no others on the Xavier school grounds at the moment. The Major then tells him to try and access the Cerebro computer system. Now, this distraction gives Cable all the opportunity he needs to uppercut the Major and regain the upper hand in this conflict. Cable then accuses Major X of being part of Strife's mutant liberation front. The Major informs Cable that Strife is no longer a problem where he comes from. And he also refers to Cable as a legend, and he says it's an honor to cross swords with him here. Cable ain't wanting to hear none of this, Spoo, and he goes to blast the bejesus out of the Major. Just then, the Grey Beast hops in and knocks Cable off his feet. Cable wonders if this is, in fact, Hank McCoy, and we'll find that out soon enough. Beast tries to reason with Cable a bit, claiming they're only here because they need they need help saving their home. Cable ain't got no time for that either, and so he literally shocks the Beast into, I don't know, stunnedness or something? He then prepares to body slide by three. However, before he can do so, the Major is back in action. Major X then slices off Cable's left hand with his sword. With Cable on his butt, the Major informs him that, you know, they're not enemies. Not sure why the Major decided to show this by beating the hell out of Shadowstar and Domino, but what are you going to do? The Major explains that he's here because he needs Cable's help. You see, their world, where they come from, is collapsing, and Cable might somehow be able to give them an assist. Cable really doesn't want to discuss any of this, and he goes into body slide mode again. However, before he can finish his command to Grey Malkin, Major X KOs him with a punch. The Major then peeps the carnage around him and suggests that, yeah, this probably could have gone smoother. He tells the Beast that their time here is limited, but Hank is hopeful that they'll, you know, figure it out because, well, they kind of have to if they want to save their world. Now, speaking of their world, let's head over to Flashbackland to find out a little bit more about it. It's a place called The Existence, and that's X apostrophe Istance. This bit is narrated via Traveler's Log 01990, which is another cool nod. Also, our man here, he's riding his mother bike through a place called Sector 86, which might be a reference to Cable's first appearance in New Mutants number 86, February 1990, in the next issue box. It was a cameo. Uh, New Mutants 87 is definitely what most people consider the first appearance of Cable. It has that iconic cover, and that is usually cited as being Cable's first appearance. But it's worth noting that Rob Liefeld himself apparently cites a variant cover for Deadpool number 10 as being the first appearance of Major X, and not this issue. So maybe cameos and whatnot count. I know my pal Chris Bailey, who owns a copy of Incredible Hulk number 180, would probably agree. Anyway, it's here we see Major X and his mother bike just ripping across a desert landscape and around mountain paths. It's all very high-octane sort of stuff. The Traveler's Log clues us into the existence, well, that is the word existence without the X and hyphen, of something called the Essential. that's X hyphen sensual, ential, a being, an organization, or something that has provided peace and unity for all of mankind. The existence, that is X hyphen istance, is a safe haven and sanctuary for all mutants. Now, the Major's ride is interrupted by an incoming transmission from headquarters, we see a beefy, bald fella trying to warn the Major that entire territories of the Existence are currently crumbling. And the Essential, who is apparently a him, cannot be located, nor is he responding to any attempts at contact. Then, the Beast shows up and tackles Major X. The Major refers to him as McCoy, 
That is M apostrophe K O Y. McCoy has been sent to track the major down, but didn't seem to know that the existence is collapsing, nor that the essential is missing. So why is he trying to find the major? Who knows? The existence begins to shake, everything around our heroes begins to collapse, and so McCoy and Major X hop on the mother bike and beat a hasty retreat. They approach a cliff where the Major has the idea to attempt a very dangerous warp slide. McCoy worries that his buddy is out of his mind, and then I think he poops his pants, but I can't be sure. The mother bike soars off the cliff while our heroes can hear the screams of their now-dying world. And we see a cluster of cameos here from, I'm assuming, prominent residents of the existence. I don't recognize all these cameos that we're seeing, but I do see the thing. I think it's Namor there, and maybe some Atlanteans? I swear one of them is Vogue from Youngblood. Anywho, the mother bike manages to warp slide, which, I'm assuming, explains how Major X and McCoy made it to the 616. Back in the present, or the relative present, that is to say not the existence, Major X has stood over Cable's KO'd body and is narrating via Traveler's Log 01992. He comments that Cable is most essential, that is the word essential, not X-enchil, to his history, and we'll soon find out why. Before he and McCoy can plan their next move, they find themselves under attack by Wolverine. He's in his brown and tans, which uh, further plants this story somewhere around New Mutants number 100, X-Force number 1. They fight for a bit. McCoy attempts to intervene. However, Logan is on is in full-on berserker mode at the moment. Wolverine goes to swipe at the Major, but his claws are deflected by the Major's sword. You see, it's forged out of adamantium. So I wonder, are we going to see Major X in X of Swords? Hmm. Now, Major X reveals that his sword, the sword that he wields, was actually fashioned from Wolverine's own bones sometime in the future. The fight with Logan is all the distraction Cable needs to, well, recover and shoot Major X in the back. It's not terribly honorable a move, but uh, any old port in the storm, right? He warns Major X to stand down and to start talking, which, you know, was pretty much what Major X wanted to do anyway. He's just there to talk, after all. Major X has no problem with the peaceable solution, and he tells the X-Folks that he will spill the beans. You see, his homeworld is crumbling, he needs help, yada yada yada. Before they can get too deep into coming to terms, however, poof, Deadpool shows up. Well, make that Dreadpool with a DR. He's been hired by a benefactor, which is kind of how all early Deadpool appearances went. He's here to find the Major and to make a carpet out of McCoy. He introduces himself as the, quote, grim and gritty type, which I'll admit made one of the corners of my mouth lift a bit. Before Dreadpool and Major X can go at it, Cannonball makes his presence known, blasting into the baddie's back. Dreadpool responds by tossing an adamantium bolo or something at him, which manages to break through Sam's field and tangles him up good. By now, Domino's recovered enough to enter the fray, but she's knocked out within a couple of panels. Next, Cable and Dreadpool duke it out, with the former asking how the latter knows of the Major. In response, Dreadpool just sings a little bit of Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper, Cable isn't impressed, but I sort of am. Wolverine then lunges at Dreadpool, but winds up getting the Sam Guthrie adamantium bolo treatment. They're really jobbing these ex-folks out, aren't they? Dreadpool then threatens to turn McCoy into a carpet again. Well, actually, this time it's a throw rug. But who am I to, you know, I'm not going to split hairs here. Now, Dreadpool faces off with the Major. But this is short-lived, because now it's time to introduce the real deal, Deadpool who somehow arrives in the danger room on a motorcycle. 
Okay, well, we'll allow it. The pair of DPs then start punching one another, with the real one getting the upper hand. He asks who this familiar stranger is, and he wonders which Wilson he might be. And yes, he does suggest it might be Slade, which, yes, I'll admit, made me smile. Realizing that the tables have turned just a bit, Dreadpool decides it's time to bug out. This leaves the rest of X-Force, including Warpath, who we hadn't seen to this point, and the real deal Deadpool, but somehow not Wolverine, to chat up the Major and hopefully get some answers. Now, Major X explains what the existence is, or was. He cites the Essential as being their source for survival. He reveals that he's here because he needs access to some particular technology from this era. Now, somehow, Cable now seems to know exactly who this helmeted fellow is, though I couldn't even hazard a guess as to how that could be. We wrap up with the Major unhelmeting and revealing his identity. He is Alexander Nathaniel Summers, the son of Cable. All right, so let's talk about this. I know Major X's somewhat divisive topic, written and drawn by a somewhat divisive creator. Uh, I mentioned that I found this in a uh, back issue bin the other day, and I shared a picture of the cover on social media that day. And honestly, I was kind of taken aback by just how negatively received it was. I mean, (laughs) only a few people commented on the story. That kind of told me everything I needed to know. Uh, But it was very, very negative. And I wasn't expecting that. Even though I know that there is a divisiveness, and I know that there there are camps out there that have very strong feelings one way or another, I wasn't expecting the reaction that I got. I almost took it personally. (laughs) I didn't know what I did to piss people off. Now, let me get my feelings on Rob Liefeld out of the way, okay? I don't want to come across as a comics commentating contrarian, and I'm not looking to score any brownie points because Rob ain't going to listen to this, but uh, I've been reading comics for over 30 years, and I still get excited when I hear that Rob's coming on a book, okay? Off the top of my head, the only time that I wasn't was during the New 52, but that was more of me just being anti-DC at the time than actually being anti-Liefeld. Maybe also that two-issue arc on Teen Titans that Gail Simone wrote too, but I might have been part of the hive mind at that point. I don't know. Now, to me, Rob Liefeld is a comics fan's comics fan. He's a guy who found a way to live the dream that so many of us had or have He got to go up the ranks and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in comics before actually becoming one himself. Is there a single one of us who would turn something like that down? Of course not. I really don't understand the knee-jerk reaction to him in particular. Uh, I feel like anytime Rob comes up in conversation, it's usually preceded with somebody saying, I think we can all agree that Rob Liefeld dot dot dot. I don't know. Again, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, nor am I trying to blow sunshine. Uh, I think I just think Rob's probably a good dude and has good intentions for the comics he creates. Uh, I can't ask for a whole lot more than that, you know. And uh, I've talked about my early days of comics fandom and how Rob Liefeld loomed large, and I've told the story about Rob Liefeld, man. That I'll spare you all, but uh, I'll I'll link to a YouTube video where I where I share that uh, that story here. Where I uh, went to buy Young Blood number one, and it was twice cover price on release day. But uh, I'll, I'll spare you all here. 
With all that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about this issue. This isn't Jonathan Hickman's X-Men. This isn't Grant Morrison's X-Men. This isn't Chris Claremont's X-Men. But I don't think it's supposed to be. This is the sort of thing that I would call popcorn comics. Um, It's high action. And as much as I hate to describe something by citing a decade, it's unabashedly 90s. I, too, am unabashedly 90s. So, yeah, I kind of dug this. I enjoyed this for what it was because I wasn't expecting it to be what it wasn't. Does that make any sense? (laughs) I mean, I didn't go into Major X expecting anything but what we got. I figured this was going to be a bunch of Liefeld-created or co-created characters, some popular X-Men, and a lot of fighting and action. That's what I expected, and that's what I got. Are some of the trappings here kind of baffling? Sure. Were there convenient leaps of logic? Plenty. But, and again, I'm not trying to be a contrarian, that's exactly the sort of thing you should expect when you plunk down a $5 bill in exchange for this comic book. If you bought this expecting for it not to be what it was, I really don't know what to tell you. If you hate-bought this, well, I'm sure Rob appreciated the extra of sale. As for the story, it's pretty PC. That I'll admit. We'll undoubtedly talk more about that as we work our way through the series, but for now, everything's kept fairly nebulous, you know? It's kind of all over the place. I feel like a lot of books are kind of all over the place after their first issue, but, uh... They might get a little bit more of a pass than this one does, for whatever reason that may be. Um, Let's talk about the art. Again, this is Rob. It's not my favorite art, not by any stretch. But if I were to suggest that part of me doesn't get at least a little bit excited when I see it, I'd be lying to you. So many of my earliest days in the superhero fandom were informed by Rob and Rob-alike art. I mean, his style was the style, you know? And uh, it's hard to really contextualize that with how exciting it was to see something as different as Rob's work because the Marvel and DC house styles, which were great, I mean, you, you couldn't tell what month of the year, what year of the decade you were in sometimes because it all looked very, very samey. When you have someone like Liefeld coming onto New Mutants and it's just so different. It's so exciting. It's just, it makes you feel like you're looking at something special and different. And I know there's a lot of people out there probably rolling their eyes right now at me, but uh, this is what I came up with. You know, I came up, I started reading the, the superhero comics in the early 90s. This is pretty much my wheelhouse, right? Um, and this just takes me back to a time where I wasn't so cynical about comics. You know, seeing this made me feel like I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old again. I wasn't trying to overanalyze every little thing. Well, I mean, even back then I would analyze things that might make a book more valuable in a price guide. But I wouldn't find myself so caught up in the scenery and trying to see symbols where they might not be like I am today. This was, you know, 1991, 1992 was a happy, happy time for me. A time of discovery, you know. I had this whole new world of comic book heroes right there in my face, and I loved every single second of it. I'd like to think that a book like Major X was created for people just like me. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. It is right up my alley, 
And you know what? That's okay, too. It's not something I'd want to read forever, and this probably isn't an issue that I'll read anytime again soon. But there's something about it that takes me back to a magical time in my life. I hope that fans of my vintage... I mean, I'm 40 years old. I hope fans of my vintage can try and put aside their cynicism for a minute and give this a try, knowing full well what it is and what it isn't. And I think... You probably won't be surprised by the story, but you might be surprised by the experience. And I think that's all I got to say about Major X number one. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so on Twitter at Ace Comics or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and stuff at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can find the main X-Lapsed program at xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can find us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. And you can find the full audio archives of the Chris and Reggie channel at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we'll leave it for this week. Uh, We'll come back uh, somewhere down the line to continue major X-Lapsed. We'll get through the whole series eventually. I want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out with me and lending me your ears for this half hour. I very much appreciate it. And I, uh, I look forward to feedback. I'd like to hear from folks. Um, again, I'm not here to be an apologist. I'm not here to blow sunshine. I'm not here to be a contrarian. I'm just here to tell you what I like. So, till next time, as always, thank you, and I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Because absolutely nobody demanded it, I present to you episode two of Major X-Lapsed. Boy, after that first episode, I I thought that episode was actually going to take down this channel. I was uh, not prepared for the almost aggressive indifference to this concept and this title. Uh, I was expecting... I was expecting something. I just wasn't expecting nothing. 
But here we are, and we're going to continue along. Uh, this is Major X number two, had a June 2019 cover date, written by Rob Liefeld with pencils by Brent Peoples. Ink Scott Hanna, colors Romulo Fajardo Jr., Light is VC's Joe Sabino, edits Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, went on sale April 17th of 2019. So we open in the existence, described as a mutant Shangri-La, which, you know, is the place that we saw crumble to bits last issue. This is a flashback to something called the Celebration of the Fifth Crossing, whether this means like fifth anniversary or something altogether different, I haven't the foggiest idea. Now, the Essential, who was that dude who went missing last issue, he's there with McCoy and Major X, and they're stood on a cliffside overlooking paradise, while a kind of flowery narration talks about what a swell place this is. The Essential tells a story of how this place came to be, and, um... I've read these next several pages probably a half dozen times, and I'm still not entirely sure how to explain what happens here. Uh, I've... This is tough. Uh, I'm trying to be as careful as possible here to describe this as best I can, and I'm having trouble. I mean, I've synopsized things like Cherry Pop-Tart and Street Poet Ray, so this is a... This is a tough task here. So... What we see is a time of turmoil on some earth or another. We see a pair of sentinels duking it out right next to, I'm assuming, the Golden Gate Bridge, and uh, we've got Atlanteans all over the place. Then Ocean Master shows up, only he's going by the name Catalyst here. He's either called Catalyst or he's just being described as the Catalyst for what's about to happen. It really doesn't matter. The Essential appeared and opened a portal for these Atlanteans to escape through. And so they did. Perhaps they were the fifth group to do so. Ocean Master vows to destroy the Atlanteans' world, and uh, he doesn't seem all that picky about uh, which world that is. The Essential warns that if all O.M. and he cross paths again, his face will be the last one that the bad guy ever sees. So, Atlanteans have just entered the existence, and everything's hunky-dory, right? Societies begin to flourish, Atlanteans, quote, procure the waters of the existence, which I don't think that's the right word to use here, but what do I know? Uh, they even joined a uh, not-so-quiet council, and it's here that we meet Nomar and Laura, who I suppose are Atlantean royalty of some sort. Uh, they ask that they get an audience with the council, which I could have sworn we already confirmed was going to happen like two pages ago, and so we jump to later and the council is meeting. Nomar kvetches that their kingdom suffers and that his people are dying, which begs the question, didn't they just get there? I don't know. Nomar wants answers from the Essential about what he's going to do to help his people. The Essential comments that his powers have grown weak and he is fading. Now, Nomar doesn't want to hear none of that, and so he slams his fist on the table and starts getting lippy. Now, this causes Major X to react by drawing his gun and pointing it right at the head of the Atlantean A-hole. Well, like I always say, we let the punishment fit the crime. Now, the Essential stands up between the Major and Nam no, Namor, no, the other one, Nomar, to settle everyone's tea kettles a bit. He has a plan. We're just not going to find out what that plan is this issue. And you know what? I'm okay with that because uh, yeesh, this first half was pretty dull. And confusing. We shift scenes from here to the then-present, or rather the here and now, 
We're back at Xavier's where the Major and McCoy are chatting up Cable and Wolverine. Now, I think I forgot to mention it last episode, but Major X is a black man. And I also neglected to mention that, despite not appearing in Major X number one, Storm is featured on the cover. So, I'm going to put on my detective hat here. We're going to go out on a limb and guess that it'll eventually be revealed that Storm is the mage's mother. Maybe? Maybe not. We'll put that, we'll put a pin in that for now. Anywho, we find out that the ridiculous first half of this issue was being told by Major X, who reveals that just three days after that meeting with Nomar, the essential went missing and the existence began to crumble. We get a refresher that McCoy and the Major managed to motherbike their way into a rift to escape the decimation. Major X suggests that he arrived in the 616 a little bit too early, despite saying he arrived just in the nick of time last issue. Whatever the case, he needs to go to the future. Cable does the whole time slide thing, which I don't think actually moves them through time, but it uh, delivers them to Cable's personal armory. Wolverine, who, if you'll recall, vanished at the end of last issue, uh, he's here and he really wants some answers. First, he wants confirmation that this is Cable's kid. Cable gives the big ol' thumbs up, but will not elaborate, lest he accidentally change the future, or the past, or another dimension, or whatever. From here, Cable and Major X head to Greymalkin. Before leaving, Nate tells Wolverine, should anything happen to him, that he should take over running X-Force. So, we next arrive at Greymalkin, which is Cable's secret base on the ocean floor? I don't remember that being the case, but again, what do I know? Cable and the Major tromp on through while the Professor AI chats them up. The Professor is able to recognize Major X as Alexander Nathan Summers. Suddenly, they're attacked by an Atlantean giant called Sharkskin who greets our heroes by yelling, Surf's up. Uh, It's probably worth noting that Sharkskin is part of a trio of Atlantean mutants. (laughs) Together, they're called Surf. They appeared in Atlantis Attacks back in a New Mutants annual. Sharkskin here, he's here to kill the Traveler, though, for whatever reason, he takes out Cable first. Major X rushes over to pick up Cable's dropped rifle, and with it, he blasts the bejesus out of the would-be assassin. The professor here suggests that, uh, that Major X turn the gun up to its highest possible setting. Okay. Cable gets back up, and after asking the professor to calibrate his arm which I don't understand, he punches Sharkskin square in the mush. Old SS barely even blinks, though he does bleed a bit from his mouth. He informs our heroes that Greymalkin's gonna explode and that the existence is finished, so we got a really bad day ahead of us. Cable asks how he figures that. Then another member of Surf shows up, and this time it's Eel, who has like stretchy Mr. Fantastic-y powers. Eel states that they serve the royal family while he wraps Cable up. And our man is all, hey, Major, a little help over here. To which the Major jams a shock stick into Eel. Then, just as it looks as though everything's going to be A-OK, Sharkskin begins to laugh. And there's also a strange beeping. Then our third and final member of Surf shows up. And this is Undertow, who looks a whole heck of a lot like the Atlanteans from The Existence. The Professor announces that Undertow is a member of the Atlantean Royal Guard, which 
I'm not sure is all that much different from, you know, eel and shark skin serving the royal family, but whatever. From here, Cable lunges at a control panel and I, I'm assuming hits a self-destruct button or something. He then tackles Major X to the ground as the whole place goes up in a blaze of... Well, something or another. That's where we leave it. The place goes boom. We don't know what's next. So let's talk about this. Um, oh boy, you guys. Uh, I had a lot of fun with the first issue. Uh, maybe it's because it wasn't trying so hard to tell a deep and meaningful story. Unfortunately, this kind of was. And boy, does it suffer for it. And as a result, so do we. This has like a weird dichotomy here that we're facing where we're both getting like way too much exposition and we're also not getting nearly enough. Uh, these details are coming at us in very uneven waves to the point where I'm not even sure what we're supposed to know just yet. I mean, this is part and parcel 90s comics, right? I mean, back in the 90s, things like mysteries, they, they, were, they were almost a con- like a currency in mutant hero comics, right? We always had hints being dropped. We had these odd knowing glances from brand new characters who somehow knew each other. We had backstories that were yet to be like fully mined and fleshed out. And on one hand, I feel like this story is attempting to evoke that sort of feeling. It's just not doing that great a job of it. Now, perhaps that's due to the fact that I'm not expecting much of a resolution here. Or maybe it's just not being done as well as it used to. I mean, let's go back to the beginning of this issue. Uh, Do we know or care who this Catalyst character is? Does it matter? Or is he simply just a Catalyst that drove this group of Atlanteans into the existence? Will we ever see him again? What more could he even do? Hell, what was he doing in the first place? We just don't know. All we have is some half-hearted narration about how their world was at war. Hell, aren't most worlds in the Marvel Universe It's in some sort of war? What makes this time and place so different from any other? Also, the timetable table we're given here once the Atlanteans make the existence their home is sort of all over the place. Have, have they been here long? Do they have seats at the Council or not? Do they have their own Council? Do they have their own Kingdom of Atlantis in the existence? If so, how and why is that Kingdom falling apart? Does it even matter? Or is it just there to foment a conflict between Nomar and the Major? And bef- before we even think more about that, I gotta, I gotta make uh, something clear here. Atlanteans are up there with, like, Inhumans on the list of characters I really couldn't give a rat's ass about. So maybe I'm biased or anti-biased, or maybe I'm just programmed to glaze over every time I see them on panel. Um, the here and now, the, that, that portion of the issue, the after the staples part, um... I suppose it's damning with faint praise to suggest it was the strongest part of this issue. Uh, Pulling some mutant Atlanteans from Atlantis attacks was, I guess, a nice use of history. But honestly, I I don't care about them. I really don't. Uh, Maybe, you know, after the first issue, which I I did enjoy. I really thought that was a lot of fun. Um, It didn't... It was what it was, right? That's kind of how I how I put it last time. I, I said it w- it wasn't pretending to be what it wasn't, and it was only what it was, right? And uh, maybe it's because of that that I'm expecting to see some of the more 
I don't know, classic Liefeld villains. You know, maybe the Mutant Liberation Front. Maybe Strife. Hell, even like Thumbelina or Fantasia, right? But Atlanteans? Surf? Ugh, come on. Really a big letdown from uh, from one issue to the next. Uh, should we talk about dialogue? I suppose we ought to. Um, it wasn't great. We get a lot of generic tough guy talk, which, let me be plain here, that isn't always a bad thing. In fact, sometimes it's exactly what the doctor wrote it, you know. Uh, here, though, it kind of falls flat. And... If you actually stop and read this, like, <laughs> say say some of it out loud, you know, say you know, grab any line from Cable and say it out loud here, and I'd almost go as far as to suggest that this sort of comes across as Rob lampooning himself. I mean, we've got this weird and almost purple, in a way, attempt at epic storytelling, contrasted with bad guys who introduce themselves by shouting, "Surfs up." We've got worlds crumbling. We've got people dying. And we get surfs up. Oh, boy. The art here comes from Brent Peoples, who I'm not totally familiar with. Um, It seems here that he's doing his best Rob Liefeld impersonation, which I'm not really feeling. Um, I did a search for Brent Peoples online, and I saw a lot of his other work, and I tell you what, he is quite the artist. He's got some really beautiful work. Um, sadly, that suffers here as he attempts to ape that, you know, Liefeld style. He, I mean, it comes across as a lesser Liefeld where I'd rather see Rob on these pencils. Now, Rob's style might be divisive, but perhaps something we can all agree on, and how I do hate proceeding any point I'm trying to make with, I think we can all agree on dot dot dot, but I think we can all agree that Rob does his style better than anyone else. I mean, if someone tries to do Rob, it doesn't come off looking nearly as charming or as legit as when Rob does it. Overall, I had a far less good time with this second issue. Uh, the worm kind of turns here. Uh, rather than just being like a, like a retro romp straight out of 1991... We're getting this, like, strange set-dressing of Atlantean pseudo-political intrigue and a whole lot of interchangeable characters just dumped into our laps. Um, Got my fingers crossed that, you know, maybe things go back to taking themselves a little less seriously in the upcoming installments. Because otherwise, this is going to be a tough handful of issues to, uh, to read through. Fingers crossed we get some more fun from here on in. But uh, that's pretty much all I have to say about Major X number two. Um, I almost feel silly for being so positive on the first issue. Uh, this issue was quite the letdown. Quite the letdown. It took itself a little too seriously and suffered for it. But I welcome anybody's thoughts if anybody's out there. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a. Uh, Unexpectedly uh, unpopular program, or maybe it should be expected. But uh, whatever the case, it's if you're out there listening, I would love to hear your thoughts on Major X number two. You can reach out to me a number of ways. Uh, the easiest is probably Ace Comics on Twitter or Weird Comics History at Gmail.com. 
You can find show notes, and you can even leave a comment over at chrisoninfiniteearth.com. Uh, there's a Facebook group, 90s X-Men, and you can find the audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But uh, I think that's all I got today. It's going to be a pretty short episode for a uh, pretty shallow book. So uh, I'll just thank everyone for hanging out and sharing your time with me today and uh, let you know that, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode three of Major X-Lapse, the show uh, nobody asked for, but you're getting it anyway. Um, we're going to be discussing the third issue of Major X, and uh, we have a little bit of news surrounding it here. Um, I was doing a little bit of research because I figured I'd need to fatten this episode up a little bit because, well, there ain't a whole heck of a lot to talk about. So, uh... I looked at Bleeding Cool, which is something I promised myself I'd never do, but uh, found myself there anyway. And uh, they said, at the time this issue came out, that this third issue sold out before even hitting the racks. I don't know about you guys, but uh, am I the only one tired of hearing that kind of stuff, where you know we're selling books out before they even show up? Could we like stop it with that crap? Um, like, how do we define selling out? You know, I've been collecting, buying comics for over 30 years now, and uh, I feel like, especially in the most recent decade or so, we just get reports like this several times a year for books that really don't, they don't actually sell out. Um, I i guess maybe they sell out at the printer level, but uh, I mean, how about we let the stores actually get through some of their inventory before we print, you know, another three or four versions of these books? It's, it feels like, it feels very artificial. It feels like they're trying to cause like a, like a hoopla where there really isn't one. And I mean, I get it as a, as a gimmick, but, uh, you know, 
I, I still go to the comic shop. You know, I go to the comic shop more often than I should, considering that I get all my new books uh, online. But when I go to the comic shop, I, I see literal piles of these books. You know, uh, what was that event a few years ago that Marvel spun out of the whole, you know, Captain America, Hail Hydra thing? Um, happened a couple of years back. It was an empire. That was what we just had. Something along those lines, though. But that was touted as being sold out, and, and stores in my area literally couldn't give these books away. I mean, there were these things were piled so thick on the racks that they were, like, falling off. Uh, same with uh, another book here, Heroes in Crisis. Now, Heroes in Crisis was a book, and uh, that first the first issue of it, I forgot to pre-order uh, on DCBS. Mostly because they solicited it, I pre-ordered it, they decided to push it back, they canceled all the pre-orders, and I forgot to pre-order it again. I assumed that my pre-order still stood, and then I found out that, no, it didn't. So I actually had to go to the comic shop for it. And uh, the morning I went, all the all of our, you know, vaunted comics journalists touted Heroes in Crisis number one as being sold out. So I head to the shop, and I'm nervous. I'm figuring, oh crap, I'm going to miss out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be forced to buy, you know, like the 1 in 10 variant that nobody else wants. I'm going to pay 15 bucks for a comic that I'm probably not going to even like just because I'm a crisis completionist and uh, I want to, you know, have it. And I get there and, you know, bada bing, bada boom, there's 40 copies on the shelves. And 40 is a convenient number for me to, for me to go with here. But uh, there were literally four spots for it on the, on the racks. All the regular cover, so I'm assuming there were like 10 in each pile, but uh, I don't know. I'm just, I get, I get so fatigued by hearing that books are selling out when these poor retailers are sitting on so much inventory and then they, they do a second printing and they're stuck with that and then a third printing and they're stuck with that and that's on top of all the variants. It's a disaster, but uh, anyway, we have some Rob Liefeld quotes about the reception to Major X from around this time. Now, he says, In over 30 years of producing comic books, I've never seen anything like this. I've never had three books, that's Major X 1 through 3, completely sell out before fans got, an got a chance to experience them. The fan reaction to Major X has been nothing short of the most overwhelming experience in my career. And uh, I just want to remind everyone that this fellow sold comics in the millions 30 years ago, so... Eh, hyperbole is a thing, I guess. Uh, we also get a peek behind the curtain here um, to uh, talk about the reception, okay? Because I did uh, some more of my due diligence here, and I looked at the uh, the Comic Review Roundup site, which is another site that I promised myself I'll never go to. But uh, I was interested to see if... To see what the reception was. And I knew the numbers were going to be low because they all use the aggregate 1 through 10, best out of 10 sort of thing. And of course it's of course it's a Rob Liefeld book. I think that gets points taken off even... Yeah, if these books are selling out before they ship. Well, they also get, you know, reviewed a little bit lower before they ship, unfortunately. But uh, the first issue had 14 online reviewers reviewing it. That's Major X number 1. Major X number three, just a month later, because the first three issues were, were bi-weekly, only two people, only two online reviewers looked at it. 
So, uh, I don't know about the reception. I mean, I, I guess it's three if you're counting me, but, I mean, who in their right mind would count me as a uh, online reviewer? But uh, the reception? Eh, maybe, uh, maybe a little different. I don't know. But with all that out of the way, how about we get into it here? Uh, this is, of course, Major X number three. Had a July 2019 cover date. Written by Rob Liefeld with art by Wills Pertasio. Colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters by VCs Joe Sabino, editor Bisa White-Sabolski had a cover price of $3.99 and went on sale May 1st of 2019. Now we open at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters where Wolverine and McCoy are playing tag. And they spend three entire pages doing this. Um, while not really saying all that much of interest, uh... It also looks like they turned on the Danger Room's white void setting, because uh, if you were looking for backgrounds, you're in the wrong place. Just then, Major X and Cable return from Grey Malkin, and they are soaking wet. If you remember, last issue ended with uh, Cable you know, doing like a self-destruct on Grey Malkin to get away from Surf. Uh, and it looks like... The way they're drawn here, it looks like they actually brought like a swimming pool's amount of water back with them here. There's just puddles and puddles and puddles. Um, now, Cable, he reveals that he was able to secure a pair of sliders for uh, for his son here, and uh, that's unfortunately not the little hamburgers. These are actually sliding doohickeys, I guess. They can teleport the Major anywhere and evidently any when he needs to be. But here's the thing. He's only got two, and they each got one use, so he can do this two times. Uh, so he's going to have to make these count, these jumps count, is what I'm trying to say. We shift scenes to the Atlantic Ocean, where the members of Surf are checking in with some Atlantean royalty. So I guess that big old explosion at Grey Malkin killed nobody? Okay. Now, the royal family here, it's a brother and a sister, and they've got blue skin, they're Atlantean, and I'm assuming that this this tandem are uh, Nomar and Laura? Um, I'm guessing. Uh, they're none too pleased to hear that the Major was able to give the goons a slip. Undertow gets a slap across the face for being, well, a complete loser. Thankfully, that's all the time we're going to spend with them today. Let's hop back to the X-Mansion, where Cable and Major X are in an embrace with the former telling the latter how proud of him he is and how he'll always have his back. Wolverine expresses that he wishes he could, that they can go with the Major and McCoy to help out in their, you know, in their quest to save the existence. He's also a bit curious to learn more about McCoy's story. All McCoy's willing to tell him is that uh, this isn't the first time they'd tangled. Which, yeah, is kind of the comment that feels straight out of 1991, in a good way. Uh, he does refer to Wolverine as Lolo, which, uh, how about we, we, we never do that again. Now, the Major and McCoy slide over to Cape Elizabeth, Maine, and it's sometime around the year 2000, so they were able to change time and place. And they arrive right at the foot of a familiar-to-some lighthouse. Now, this is the Watchtower from one of uh, Rob's turn-of-the-century returns to Marvel, this one's from Wolverine, Volume 2, Number 154, September 2000, Cover Date. And this was an era where Rob seemed to be popping up on a couple of books. Um, it also came after a really fun run of Wolverine comics by Steve Scrosi. And it uh, totally ignored 
any and all character development that Deadpool had uh, undergone in the past half decade prior under uh, Joe Kelly and Christopher Priest, which I know that got under my skin pretty hard back in the day. Um, Though we might be able to lampshade all of that a bit with the whole Dreadpool debacle. Or not, I suppose we'll find out. Uh, He also popped back up on cable, Uh, this is Liefeld again, around the time of uh, that one story that I won't shut up about, The Twelve. And he kind of derailed what the series was building to. Uh, The whole cable series for years was building to this confrontation with Apocalypse that was supposed to be, you know, the last confrontation between the two. And this issue, Cable number 75, January 2000 cover date, is one that I believe even to this day, nobody has taken credit for writing. I know Joe Pruitt is uh, the one who's listed as writer, but he said he didn't write it. Liefeld said he didn't write it. I think Bob Harris said he didn't write it. So this one was written by artificial intelligence, I guess. I don't know. But uh, it was a bad issue, a very bad issue, and it totally derailed a storyline that many of us were looking forward to see play out. So, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Rob returning around then to like kind of undo and ignore everything that came before. I was not a fan of that. But back to the story. The Major and McCoy recognized this place as being the Watchtower. Fair enough. This is the place where the Essential was born, evidently. Now they enter, and McCoy sees a couple of guards directly to his left. And he says, two on my six. Which... I might be mistaken, but wouldn't that put the guards directly behind him? Like six as in six o'clock, right? Am I wrong? Maybe? I don't know. I'm looking at this panel here and I'm thinking two at my nine would have probably been more accurate or, you know, just plain accurate. But what do you do? Now, the Major and McCoy, which I'm getting tired of saying, uh, proceed to beat up the guards. Elsewhere, Dreadpool looks on while some doctor is performing some sort of experimentation on some guy. Uh, who looks like uh, he was drawn by Eric Larson and not Wills Portacio. Anywho, McCoy bursts through a window because of course he does, and he beats the hell out of the dock. He's soon joined by the Major, who is trying to de-strap the test subject from the table. Then they start getting shot at. It's Dreadpool and his group of goons known as the Scourge. Now, if not for the fact that this main character on the splash page is clearly designed to be a sort of Deadpool, you'd think this entire thing fell out of a drawer of the Image Comics bungalow back in 1993. Uh, Then again, I suppose a lot of Image characters of that vintage were sort of Deadpools, so I guess never mind. Uh, Perhaps it's worth noting here that Dreadpool is wearing an X-Men belt buckle. Maybe that'll mean something, maybe it won't, maybe it's a mistake, who knows. So, let's meet... The Scourge. We got Mega Max. And uh, this is a dude who looks like he's wearing an AIM beekeeper outfit without the helmet. And instead of a helmet, he's got a comically large pair of glasses, like the kind you get like at a, in a gift shop or something. Or like a novelty store or a Spence's Gifts or something. Uh, then we got Pigskin, who's a giant armored juggernaut-looking fella. We got Deadeye Dick, who looks more like a pig than Pigskin. We got Vance Rebus, who, uh, due to the font that they're using here to introduce these folks, made me initially think his name was Uncle Rebus. Um, He's a guy with a... I mean, this isn't anything we've never seen before. It's like half of his head has like a a metal dome on it covering one of his eyes. I mean, uh, boilerplate sort of cybernetic stuff here. 
Then we got Mini Max, who's a muscled-up little dude, and uh, I'm not sure if there's any sort of blood relation between he and Mega Max, so maybe we'll have to wait for the uh, for the Mega Max Mini Max uh, one shot to to clarify that. Now after some small talk, they fight, and they do so for the rest of the issue. Um, we're talking like eight to ten pages of fighting, which. I mean, it's a thing, I guess, and it is also somehow preferable to me than that weird Atlantean pseudo-politics that we got in issue two. So there's that. Uh, Now, the Major is able to best the Scourge grunts, finishing off Dead-Eyed Dick with a kick to the... Well, you know. Uh, Major and Deadpool, uh, Major and Dreadpool make that, uh, then tangle for another couple of pages. Uh, Dreadpool doesn't look like he's much of a match for our hero. Just when the Major is about to put a hole in Dreadpool's dome, however, his gun is noinked by an unseen force. Major X himself is then lifted off the ground and slammed into a nearby wall, and this will be at the hands of the master of the house here, the Dread Administrator. His name is the Administrator, and he is uh, hes in all his imagey glory here. Um... And we close out this issue with an introduction of the admin's most formidable pupil, and it's the Accential. And uh, the Accential looks like a mixture of Kick-Ass and Baron Zemo. That's uh, the best way I could put it. Uh, doesn't look doesn't look very intimidating, um, but hey, he's powerful. He's the Accential. He created the existence. I suppose we're going to learn a little bit more about him in the coming weeks, but. Uh, that is Major X number three. And I gotta say, I enjoyed it far more than issue two, though I'll admit that's uh, sort of damning with faint praise. Uh, at least here I could sort of kind of follow what was going on, and uh, the Atlantean pl- subplot was limited to just two pages, which, hey, that's great. I do question tying this all back to a weird two part Wolverine story from 20 years ago without much in the way of context. I know we're going to get more exposition on the in the Zero issue of the Major X series. Uh, I believe that reprints those Wolverine issues with some framing sequences from you know present day or present year, I suppose. But uh, if you didn't know about that, I'd imagine you'd be pretty lost right now. I mean, we don't even get an editorial footnote, which... What would that have hurt? You know, a little box saying, this is Wolverine 154, check it out, you know? I mean, that might have actually helped get some people into comic shops and uh, maybe get some comic shops looking to clear out some back issues they've been sitting on for a quarter century to, to get them moving out. Hell, maybe it might have even, like, judged some buys on Comixology or something. I don't know. Now, as a big fan of lore, that's, you know, one of the things I say a lot on this channel is I love lore, and I'm a fan of any story that embraces the fact that comics actually have a history. I'm very cool with the callback. You know, I can dig it. Uh, even if I didn't care for the original story, which I did not, I'm digging the fact that we're tying things together here. I mean, I'm still someone who holds out the tiniest sliver of hope that there are potential new readers out there. I don't think there's that many, but I think that they, they do exist. Uh, just chomping at the bit to get into comics, right? They they accidentally fall into a comic shop and $5 falls out of their wallet and they walk out with, with a pamphlet. I figure those people, those poor people, would be, I mean, totally bamboozled trying to follow along with this because... 
not only does the story not make a whole lot of sense on its face, without the context that almost makes it make sense, <laughs> almost, uh, you're really lost in that case. Um, so what do we say about this issue? Um, this is another book that, in some ways, kind of defies analysis. Uh, really, it's a, it's a collection of fight scenes with some cryptic dialogue mixed in, you know? That's pretty much what you're paying for with a book like this. It's not a bad thing. It's also not a great thing. Um, it's inoffensive. It wasn't really boring like the second issue was, and uh, it did what it does well enough, right? Um, I talked a lot about uh, Liefeld, it, it, the Liefeld style uh, of writing and drawing back in the first episode of this uh, subseries, and I, uh, you know, I, I basically. I basically said, you know, you get what you pay for here. You know what you're in for with this sort of a book. And uh, while the second issue was a bit of a disaster in more ways than a regular issue, uh, this one, I mean, you know what you're in for. It's, uh, it does feel like we're back in a 1991 comic book here. I mean, we had... What, three fight scenes? Three three fight scenes, if we count the Wolverine and McCoy tag thing as a fight. I guess they were training, so that, that could count. But, I mean, this was three fights with cryptic dialogue and uh, allusions to, you know, past meetings and stuff. And it felt very of, well, not of its time, but of the time it was trying to evoke. So it does what it was trying to do well enough. Did we learn anything here? Uh, well, uh, McCoy and Wolverine had tangled before their meeting at Xavier's. Um, whether that's sometime in the future, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it'll come back around at some point. I wouldn't count on it, <laughs> but uh, you never know. Uh, I don't remember McCoy being part of the original Watchtower story, but, you know, I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. As far as I can tell... Uh, we're not even for sure that he's an actual version of, like, the Beast, Hank McCoy. Uh, then again, I've been wrong before. We learned that the Essential was a pupil of the Administrator of the Watchtower and uh, took his fashion sense from Kick-Ass. Um, we're not really sure what his story is just yet, but I'm guessing that'll probably be filled in during the latter half of this miniseries, so... It was a decent enough introduction to this guy, I guess. Uh, the Atlanteans, they're still lingering. Uh, which is a little confusing because we saw Nomar and Dora, or whatever her name is. Does that mean that Nomar and Dora also made it out of the existence? Or are these just the 616 versions of them? And does it even matter? You know, uh, it, it probably will. I, maybe it will. I don't know. I'll, I'll do my best to, to yawn my way through it because Atlanteans are boring. Let's talk about the art. Uh, Rob brought in another image founder for this one in Wills Pertasio, and uh, you know this might be some of uh, the best Pertasio work I've seen in quite a while. Usually when I see Pertasio's name attached to a book, all I picture are very, very scratchy faces. And uh, the faces here didn't have the usual scratchiness, so uh, that's good with me. I actually really dug it. I'm not sure if Wills comes back at all during this run. I, I know that uh, Brent Peoples comes back for the next issue, and I believe Liefeld himself is penciling the final issue, issue 6. Maybe we'll see Wills on issue 5? Or maybe not. I mean, 
I mean, the book, the stack of books is right here next to me. I could just look, but I think I'd rather be surprised. Um, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Uh, overall, I, I suppose this issue really didn't rock my socks or anything, but on the other hand, it also didn't bore me to tears and really annoy me like issue two. So uh, at the end of the day, I suppose we'll chalk this one up as a win. Net positive, but... Uh, not gonna, not gonna rock your socks. Uh, but uh, that is all I've got to say about Major X number three. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and comments and all that good stuff. Uh, if you would like to reach out and share some of those or reach out and just say hello, you could do so very easily. I'm a very easy person to find, but uh, ain't nobody looking. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, and you could reach out via email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com you can find show notes and blog posts and all sorts of stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com uh, the main show xlapsed has its own sub show that's xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com you can also join us on the facebook group 90s x-men and uh, the audio archives are at chrisandreggie.podbean.com where you can hear you know a whole lot of stuff a whole lot of stuff that uh, you might just enjoy But I think that's where we'll leave it for today. I want to thank you all so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And until next time, I will, uh, as always, talk to you again real soon. See ya. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, the Sunday spinoff continues with a major X lapsed. This is episode four, and uh, oh boy, my voice is just not, uh, (laughs) it ain't here today. Uh, Between the allergies and the fact that I've been recording my voice on so many things lately, I, uh, my instrument probably needs a little bit of a rest, but uh, can't fit that into the schedule. So let's do it here. Uh, Major X number four. Cover date July 2019, written by Rob Liefeld with pencils by Brent Peoples. 
inks by Adelso Corona, colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters VCs Josebino, edits Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and this went on sale May 29th, 2019. And let's get into it. We open in Flashback Land, and it's Traveler's Log number 01993, so 1993. As the essential Major X and McCoy hover over some open waters in the existence. This is thankfully in black and white to inform us that, in fact, it is a flashback. Because, to be honest, I doubt I'd be quite so sure otherwise. I, You never know when or what is happening in this series. So, thank you for the black and white. Because that definitely helped. Anywho. They are met by a grizzled, bearded Namor the Submariner and his uh, children, his heirs, Nomar and Laura. They're here to kvetch about how putrid and vile the waters of the existence are. They even go so far to suggest that their people would have been better off taking their chances back at that other place with the Catalyst, who uh, I didn't think we'd ever hear, for, ever hear about again, but here we are. The Essential reminds uh, Namor that the seas are for, far more hospitable now than they were when they first arrived, and he encourages patience. You know, things will eventually get better and all that jazz. Namor ain't about being patient. After all, his, his people are dying. The Atlanteans want to be returned to the old world, where the Catalyst was doing all that crap. Now, the Essential says that that's not an option at the moment, because A, he just doesn't have the power to do it. He's so busy holding this existence together that... He doesn't have any power to spare. And B, for all we know, that old world doesn't even exist anymore. We don't know. And I, I'm not sure we, we really care. Namor and his charges leave with some threatening words toward the essential, promising reparations. Which I, I don't know if that's the word you'd use there, but uh, they used it. Alone, the essential, the Major, and McCoy are left to ponder this present situation. Now, Major X is pretty ticked off by Namor's demands, the essential, uh, he's just hopeful things can come to a peaceable end before something really bad happens to the existence. You know, like the whole place crumbling to bits, which, you know, would never ever happen. We jump back to the present, and it's Traveler's Log 02000, which gives us an idea of what year this is happening in, or at least the era with respect to the sliding timeline. This is probably around the year 2000, because we are pulling from a turn-of-the-century story here with the Watchtower, and uh, that's exactly where we are. We're at the Watchtower, with Dreadpool, who's no longer wearing an X-Men belt buckle for whatever reason, having taken the Major and McCoy into captivity while the Administrator and Little Essential uh, look on. Now, our heroes are led into another sparse metallic box of a room where they're put before Nomar and Laura, and uh, they want our man... Our men, actually, extradited to their craft. So we're getting another big word there. Before this can happen, however, Major X is somehow able to punch Dreadpool in the face. Dreadpool responds by firing a shot at our man, and the blast of it just happens to hit the chain between the handcuffs that our Major's wearing. So, uh, is it time for a big fight scene? Well, not just yet, but it is coming. Major X grabs Nomar by the throat, accusing him of destroying the existence. Laura then swats the Major away. The Administrator steps to the front to revisit the terms of his agreement with the Atlanteans. I mean, here's the thing. The Watchtower is a mutant genetic chop shop, so they take bits and pieces of mutant powers and they try to build, I don't know, super mutants or whatever the hell it's going to be. So this Administrator, he needs as much unique genetic material as possible. 
So, he wants samples from Nomar and Laura in exchange for handing over the Accentual. I thought they wanted McCoy and the Major. I guess they want the Accentual. Which, uh, I don't know, doesn't seem like too fair a trade, does it? I mean, some Atlantean DNA for a fellow who can create entire planes of existence? Uh, the Administrator's, uh... <laughs> I mean, the na- with a name like Administrator, you might think he's somewhat of a crude businessman, but, uh... Looks like, uh, maybe not. Maybe not so much. Well, Nomar and Laura agree to the terms, to which old admin is tickled pink that he'll soon be able to breathe and exist underwater. Okay, dude, whatever. Well, on the very next page, we get a swerve, bro. Laura and Nomar tell the administrator to go pound sand. He ain't getting their DNA. Then, they unleash the power of... Surf on him. So, is it time to fight now? Yes, folks, it is. The administrator slaps Laura, who's, who attempts to respond in kind, only to realize that they'd been dealing with a hologram of the admin this whole time, which was still somehow able to physically slap her. I don't think that's how holograms work, but I'm no scientist. At least not in that, in that realm. The Major produces a gun from somewhere. <laughs> I don't want... And he proceeds to blast Nomar. Then, surfs up. Sorry about that. McCoy then also produces, quote, all the guns from, again, from somewhere and starts firing away. So these two men were just kept, they were, they were in chains a minute ago, and here they are with, quote, all the guns. Dreadpool tosses a concussion grenade or a can of surge or something, which takes down the eel. Nomar then lurges, lunges in to grab the essential. We find our guys with a bad guy face-off here, Dreadpool and Nomar. Nomar offers Dreadpool a job working on their side. Dreadpool says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, never. Which, uh, remember that for a few pages later. He proceeds to fire, with one of his bullets hitting the Accentual's shoulder. So we have a bloody, wounded Accentual. The Administrator, Hologram, demands his people evacuate the tower while he begins the detonation protocols, because... Of course there's detonation protocols. Dreadpool then fires a bolo shot around Laura's throat, almost killing her. Then Sharkskin barges in to save the princess. Dreadpool responds by harpooning the big guy with his adamantium blade. And somehow, in all this scuffling, McCoy has managed to snap up the essential. So now, Dreadpool rushes over to him amid an absolute torrent of speed lines. Major X intervenes, spearing Deadpool from behind with his body, not with an actual spear. Then we get something of a repeat from the fight from last issue. Just a whole lot of punching and trash talk. This time, however, Dreadpool comes out on top. And to add insult to injury, he stomps on that last remaining slider thingy that Cable had given to the Major. So, in theory, now the Major and McCoy are stuck wherever the hell they are now. Laura then offers Dreadpool a job working on their side. Haven't we already been here? Well... (laughs) I guess not, because Dreadpool's totally cool with it. Uh, he joins up with the Atlanteans, who he just very nearly killed. He ran, a, he ran a damn adamantium sword through one of them and then almost choked the other one out, but they're going to work together. Differences aside, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, or all that garbage. So, the Watchtower begins to crumble. The detonation protocols, or the whatever they were calling it. Dreadpool and the Atlanteans, which would be a pretty awful name for a band, they slide on out, leaving the Major, McCoy, and the Essential to perish in the rubble. Why they didn't grab the essential? I don't know. I thought that was the whole point. 
the Atlanteans promise that should the good guys survive, then this score will still need to be settled. But if they die, then the Accentual's dead, which I thought they needed the Accentual. Okay, okay, okay. The Major, he recovers, and he notices his newly destroyed slider box thingy, and laments the fact that, well, damn it, now they're stuck here. Oh ho, not so fast there, Kimasabi. The Accentual has other plans. He takes the Major by the hand, and bada-bing, bada-blip, they're out of here. They arrive on Genosha, surrounded by some towering sentinels. We know where they are, but when are they? I suppose that will have to wait until next time, because that is it. So what did we think? What did we think of Major X number four? Well, I can say with 100% certainty that this was another issue of Major X. I mean, this is a. I mean, all joking aside, this is a very challenging book to talk about. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't even dislike it. But I mean, what more is there even to say about it? It's just more what we got last issue: fighting, cringy tough guy talk, and some very convenient out of nowhere deals to advance the plot. I mean, I literally just read the thing, and I just I just went through my synopsis with you all here, and I can barely remember anything that happened in it. Yeah, maybe if I was reading this in trade... No, no, I'd probably still be left pretty unsatisfied. So what happened here? What happened in this issue? Okay, well, last issue we find out that the administrator is really keen on his star pupil, the essential, right? That was the big cliffhanger. The, 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 you know, the star pupil of the administrator is the essential. But here, he's totally cool handing him over to Nomar and Laura. In exchange for an Atlantean buckle swab? Really? I mean, there's no other ways for the admin to procure the ability to breathe underwater? I, I mean, I don't want to hop on this, but his pupil, the essential, his star pupil, can make entire realities, right? Shouldn't, like, adding gills to folks be like a piece of cake, rel- you know, relative to that? Um, we have Dreadpool, right? Dreadpool's here. He swears he'll never join the Atlanteans. About five minutes before joining the Atlanteans. I don't know. Um, I suppose I can't say that this didn't feel like something I'd have read back in a year one image title. So if we're still playing the Gestalt game, I suppose we can check that one off as a win. You know, it made me feel like I was reading an issue of Brigade. Um, so yeah, cheers. Uh, Dreadpool, he also wasn't depicted with the X-Men belt buckle he was wearing last issue. And I mean... Honest and true, how sad is it that this is the most interesting part of the book to me? Even though we could probably all assume that it that its inclusion last issue was just a mistake by Will Spertasio. Right? I mean, uh, leave it to me to get lost in, in, in the scenery here, but... Uh, yeah, I was like, wow, maybe maybe he's from a, uh, a different dimension where he's part of the X-Men, but... Uh, no, no, he doesn't have it here. He doesn't have it here. So what else happened? What else happened? Uh, the slider got busted. There's that. Um, and our heroes wind up in Genosha at some point in time. <sighs> you know, the first time we talked about this book, I talked about how fun it was to be taken back, you know, to the early 90s and just uh, not worry about... I mean, for lack of a better term, not worry about things making 100% sense, right? It was just a fun issue, a fun callback. It made me feel like I was a kid again. And, 
here we are four issues in and the fact that so little has happened in really issues most of issue two three and four i feel like we're getting like the worst of both worlds here okay i mean 90s comics have a bad rap, right? The early 90s ones especially for being vapid, for being shallow, for being all image, no substance, you know, for for uh, to, to coin a phrase or to, to steal a phrase. So this is vapid, like so many early 90s comics, but it's also decompressed to the gills like so many current yearbooks. Major X has somehow married the worst aspects of both generations. And I mean, worst of all, it gives us an utterly baffling and yet boring fourth chapter here. I, I mean, this was just uh, something that people paid $4 for. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, uh, boy, let's talk about art briefly. Briefly talk about art, because we've already discussed Brent Peoples' work. Uh, he did issue two, so we talked about it in episode two. And yeah, I still feel very much the same way now as I did then. I think Peoples is a great artist when he's working in his own style. When he's aping Liefeld, it's not the best use of his talents. I've said it before, I'll say it now, and I'm sure I'll say it again. Rob's style, to me, only works when Rob is the one holding the pencil. I mean, like the guy, hate the guy, whatever whatever your feelings on the guy, I, I think... I don't want to say I think we can all agree because, you know, that's a, a blanket statement and I try not to make those, but there's a certain charm to Rob's work, right? Uh, there's an excitement to it. There's like a rawness to it. But it only it's only there when Rob is the one drawing it. It's missing when other people try and ape him. I mean, we've seen... We're seeing Brent Peoples here. We've seen... Uh, the, the whole crew from uh, from the early image books, the awesome guys, you know, the extreme guys who were doing the Liefeld stuff. We saw some Marvel Silver Age artists try to ape Rob at, at Marvel's behest. Um, we had, uh, you know, Ian Churchill, who was uh, very much a, a Rob Liefeld clone until he started to, started to go his own way and uh, was much better off for it. I, I feel, I feel like the, any charm and excitement that comes with Rob's art has to be from Rob and not from uh, someone trying to trying to do Rob, trying to approximate Rob. Overall, the issue was uh, not great, <laughs> not great, uh, not awful, you know, not the worst thing in the world, but kind of just the thing that happened to us, right? I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you hear something and you, and you don't remember it, it's just, it's in one ear out the other. This is kind of in one eye and out the other. Because, I mean, if you ask me again tomorrow what I thought about this, I'm pretty sure I'll have forgotten that I even read it. This was a very, very fluffy. And, uh, yeah, just a, uh, really not much more to say than just this was a fluffy issue. And, uh, (laughs) I can barely remember it as I sit here talking to you right now. But... If you all can remember it, and if you all would like to discuss the exploits of Major X and uh, Robert Liefeld, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or via the old Gmail box at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes, blog posts, and all sorts of stuff at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can uh, pop into our Facebook group and talk about 90s X-Men comics at 90s X-Men. 
which is a, or any X-Men, or the weather, I don't care. You can also find the full audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You'll be able to find Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Weird Comics History, Chris's on Infinite Earths, X-Lapsed, More Tory Mondays, Comics Talk, a whole bunch of shows, a whole bunch of hours worth of shows for your, uh, for your uh, ready, willing, and able ears, I suppose. But, uh... I think that's where we'll put a pin in it today. Thankfully, this was a short one because I don't know that my voice could uh, could make it much longer. <laughs> but uh, fingers crossed, because uh, over on the other show, we have a very, very large book to discuss very, very soon. And uh, I might have to gargle with salt water before I start that one, because that's, that's a biggie. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for today. I want to thank you all so much for hanging out on this uh, weird uh, you know, Sideshow Sunday or Spin-Off Sunday, whatever the hell I'm calling it, uh, for Major X Lapsed and all the programs. I really, really appreciate you sharing your time with me and uh, and reaching out and all that good stuff. So, one last giant thank you, and uh, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. It's time for uh, nobody's favorite show, Major X Lapsed. Uh, this is episode five, where we're talking about, well, Major X number five. This is the penultimate issue of the main miniseries. This is only going to go six issues, and then there's a zero issue that we'll be covering uh, the week after, which is mostly like a framed flashback sequence, reprinting a couple of old issues of Wolverine that. We'll talk about when we get there, but uh, today it's uh, Major X number five. Uh, this had an August 2019 cover date, written by Rob Liefeld, with pencils by Brent Peoples, inks by Adelso Corona, colors Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters VCs Joe Sabino, edits Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and went on sale June 12th of 2019. And, uh, well, let's get into it. We pick up right where we left off. If you remember, we were in Genosha, where the Major, McCoy, and the Essential were uh, surrounded by Sentinels. 
Now, the narrative caption tells us this is Traveler's Log number 2001, without the leading zero of all the prior Traveler's Logs we've seen. Usually it would be like a zero 2001. And if we're going to, you know, if we're going by number significance of the prior logs, then uh, we may just assume that this bit of story is occurring around the year 2001. Well, you know what they say about assuming, so we'll uh, just stick a pin in that for a minute. Now, the Major and McCoy are pretty freaked out by all the Sentinels, which, you know, stands to reason, doesn't it? Well, the Essential tells them that they have nothing to worry about because the Sentinels won't act unless he uh, commands them to. These are all under his control. Uh, we also learn here that Genosha was once the Essential's home. Suddenly, our trio are confronted by a girl in what looks to be like like a makeshift Nimrod armor. I mean, like if you if you mix like Nimrod with the old school Hellfire Club soldier masks, you really got to just see it to 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 believe how weird this looks. But um, this girl is wearing a you know a Nimfire Club mask, I guess we can call it, and is carrying. A Nimfire Club mask as a shield, a giant, you know, Nimrod Hellfire head as a shield, and has smaller Nimfire Club masks as shoulder pads. It's almost like we're looking at a parody here. It really feels like somebody thought, huh, what looks really, really crazy and what would look like it would fit in in a book that's, uh, you know, just yanked out of 1991? And this is basically it. None of this actually matters, since the girl unmasks, revealing herself to be an ally. Her name is Aura. Now, this reveal was spoiled by the cover, you know, because Aura is on the cover of this thing. She is the main focus of the cover, and uh, you'll see that in the cover art for this episode. It's all Aura. Though, if you were to judge by that cover, you'd just assume that Aura was... you know, your bog-standard, Liefeldian, Amazon sort of character, you know, uh... Way too many heads tall and all that stuff here. Uh, now here under people's pencils, she's drawn to look quite a bit younger, at least in this panel. Anywho, she and the Essential embrace, with the latter warning that he will be gone soon. He only has a few moments left. The Major looks at how the Essential and Aura react to one another and seems almost jealous of the affection that they share. I doubt this was intentional, but what are you going to do? So, the Essential turns to the Major and McCoy and tells them that his current form has been compromised. How? Why? I haven't the foggiest idea, and it really doesn't matter. The Essential claims to have taken measures to ensure that he will go on. Just, I suppose, not in his, you know, purple kick-ass body. Uh, it'll be a different body. The Major is confused, and uh, I can't blame him. Uh, and Aura picks up on this. Uh, even though they haven't been property, properly introduced yet, Aura talks to Major X as though they've known each other forever. She even calls him Major, when, as far as I can see here, they they shouldn't know each other. Now, the X-Central confirms that everything he's been going on about is way too complex for the Major to ever truly comprehend. Because the Major's confused, we're confused, I guess we are just so far below the Essential, where... I'm sure if we were smarter people, this would make total sense, and we would be getting a whole lot out of it. So once he's done yapping, he does like the uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing after he duels with Darth Vader on the Death Star. 
You know, like when Darth Vader swipes at him and he just vanishes and, and leaves a pile of clothes behind. That's basically what we get from the essential here. And McCoy comments that this was a rather unexpected turn of events, but really it's rather tame in comparison to so much of what we've read in the series so far. Oh, oh wait, before the essential does the thing, he confirms that the existence will come back. So, uh, mission accomplished, I guess? Eh, we're not done yet. Um, just then, Aura starts to convulse. McCoy catches her, and it's soon clear that the power of essential mania is now flowing through her veins. Just then, more Nimfire Club soldiers enter the scene to find out what's going on here. They attempt to apprehend the Major, who resists, and then these, uh, these other Nimfire soldiers are incinerated. Bada-bing, bada-boom, we see a sky full of armored beings. Maybe robots, maybe sort of sentinels. And they're being led by the Administrator, who uh, hasn't let go of everything that went down back at the Watchtower all the way in the long ago of the year 2000. Oh, by the way, this portion of the story takes place in the year 2019, which I guess means our Traveler's Log's numbers were meaningless, or we just forgot. So yeah, the Administrator has been waiting for this very moment for the better part of two entire decades, so he is stuck to the shadows, not bothering a soul, just waiting for Major X to come back. <sighs> we'll talk about a life without meaning, right? So yeah, the Administrator and his bots launch an attack. And it's worth noting, there are like hundreds of these stupid robots all primed to kill a single target in Major X. Just then, the Essential Aura releases the uh, friendly Sentinels and engages the other Sentinels in battle. It's worth noting, Aura seems to be, like, rapidly aging and de-aging, depending on the panel. There are times where she looks like a middle-aged, I don't know, truck stop lot lizard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I... And th then there's times where she looks like a preteen. Uh, there's... It's fairly tragic. Um, from here, we get a two-page spread with more bot battling. Uh, Aura confronts the administrator, who reveals, duh, he's not even really here, it's just another friggin' hologram. The essential Aura is cool with that, since she, he, they, can somehow reach through the hologram to affect the actual administrator himself. Which is exactly what happens. Back at the watchtower, the administrator slumps over, <laughs> probably dead. Hopefully dead, I guess. I, oh, boy. Back on Genosha, the essential aura reveals that the threat has been neutralized. Not sure where all Skate 800 robots went to, but we'll let other people worry about that. Somehow, in the midst of all this madness, Aura realizes that Major X's mother has been targeted. Well, that's uh, okay. A little out of nowhere, but whatever. We get a scene shift here to Atlantis. Now, Nomar, Laura, and a cloaked individual are shown carrying the Essential's lifeless body. So, okay. So this is the Essential from the Existence then, right? Like, from back in the first issue, whose death triggered the whole Existence crumbling to bits? Uh, we'll just go with that, Okay. Then, as they're talking, the Essential's body, this Essential's body, does the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing, just vanishes, leaving the kick-ass outfit behind. 
The Atlanteans then talk about this being an omen, and how they ought to declare war on mutant kind. Laura suggests that the uh, cloaked individual blow the Proteus horn to, I don't know, unrash, unla- unleash the wrath of the seas? The cloaked figure then unhoods, <gasps> revealing themselves to be... Come on, do I, do I really need to tell you? Is there anyone listening to this who doesn't know who this is going to be? I mean, this reveal has already been spoiled in this very series, so I don't know why this is being treated as anything anything short of earth-shattering. I mean, it's Namor, of course. Duh. Then we get an entire page of him blowing the horn. Okay. Scene shift. We're at the Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngers, Youngsters, a uh, current year... Well, current year is in pre-Hoxpox, I guess, so 2019. Our, our X-Men consist of Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, X-23, Storm, Jubilee, Bishop, Not Yet Call Me Kate, Iceman, and Beast, though this roster seems to fluctuate by the panel. Anywho, Jean's gotten an alert about something big going down on Genosha. Storm says she'll prepare the Blackbird, but is interrupted by the arrival of Major X, McCoy, and the Essential Aura. And it looks like they just walk in the front door here. Um, The X-Men are rightly freaked out. Though, nobody seems all that bothered by the fact that these strangers appear to have another version of Hank McCoy with them. You know, since the beast that we know is in this very room as well, nobody mentions it. Maybe that'll be something that happens in issue six. Anywho again... Aura, who at this point is drawn to look like a like a five-year-old, she says that they're here to stop a calamity, and they need the X-Men's help in order to preserve Major X's bloodline. Okay. What Aura actually says here, and I quote, is, We must preserve the family of our beloved Major X. Which, <laughs> yeah, we must preserve the family of our beloved Major X. That's like up there with my beautiful brother Brian over in Excalibur. This is... Wow. Um, Now with that, the Major removes his helmet. Now we know, we've seen the Major's face before, we know he's a black man. But here they're really drawing attention to the fact that he also has very, very, very white hair. I want to say his hair was usually depicted as being a little bit more... A little darker than this, maybe a little bit more salt and pepper. Not this shockingly white. Though... It's not without precedent, of course, because the big reveal, our cliffhanger here, is that his mother is... The Storm. And I think we called that one several episodes ago, but uh, that's where we leave it. Next episode of Major X Laps, we will wrap up the miniseries proper with Major X number six, and then the episode after that will we'll pop in on that zero issue. But let's talk about what we learned here today. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, what can we even say about this one? Um, I feel like anything I could point out, and everything that I have already pointed out, I feel like I'm being mean. I feel like I'm punching down. This isn't good. And you know me, I hate saying that things are bad. I'll say things are not for me, rather than saying things are, are, are bad, but this isn't good. And uh, somehow, over the course of the past five issues, it's gone from fun to bad. Then it skipped over the so-bad-it's-good territory and found itself as so-bad-it's-a-chore. 
You know, we, we didn't get that, that wonderful little honeymoon of So Bad It's Good, where we could just laugh at the cheesiness of it. It just, it skipped right over that. Now, one of the things I've said about this series, probably a few times to this point, is that Major X marries all of the worst elements of 90s storytelling with all the worst elements of current year storytelling sensibilities. We keep getting these senseless reveals, which I'm assuming are supposed to be a big deal. And maybe back in 1991, 1992, they would have been. Though, this is done so poorly, I don't think it would have even worked back then. Did we learn anything here? Like, do we have any better idea who or what the essential is? We know he lived on Genosha, then somehow made his way to the Watchtower, then somehow figured out how to create an entire reality in the existence, then was killed by Atlanteans, and now we're here again. And you know, one of the things I hate doing is the whole time loop thing, because maybe it's... uh, I just don't find that concept near as interesting as perhaps I should. But, like, if we look at it that way, does Major X always have to intervene to trigger these events? Like, in the first go-round, how did the essential go from the Watchtower to the existence? Was Aura always involved? Who the hell is Aura? Will this wind up with a new existence, or just a re-establishment of the original? Does any of this even matter? Ugh. Are there now are there now two Namors running around the 616 Marvel Universe? You know, the real one and this bearded existence one. I mean, no, no, Namor, Nomar, and Laura, they're at Prime Earth Atlantis, are they not? Wouldn't our Namor or the other Atlanteans notice this? Especially after bearded Namor blew the friggin' horn, right? So where is the real Namor? Maybe he took one look at this disaster and just noped the hell out. Genosha, these Nimrod Hellfire Club soldiers, are they just hanging out? Would they be set up here even if this story didn't happen? How and why are they occupying this place? Are there, like, are there really a legion of good sentinels posted there all the time? I mean, Genosha... Genosha really hasn't been too big a thing for a little while now. The last I can remember was that uh, that volume of Uncanny X-Men. Uh, it was like that weird one that was like mostly featuring villains. You know? Um, probably, maybe right after the Hickman Secret was. So probably late 2015, early 2016. Maybe mid-2016. And it had, like, Magneto, Mystique, and Sabretooth with, like, the featured characters in it. Now, if I'm remembering right, and I may not be, I think Magneto set up shop on Genosha there. I might be misremembering that. So, if I'm not misremembering that, were these geeks and sentinels part of that? I don't remember any of that myself, but, uh, what's that line? What is it? Forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown, right? We just accept it and move on. Because, uh, to explain it would just be... Far too, uh, it would be such an exertion of energy that it wouldn't be satisfying anyway. So, how about the administrator, eh? How about our big bad here? I I guess that's uh, one way of explaining why such a great and powerful villain hasn't been heard of or seen since the original Watchtower story 20 years ago. We find out he was just waiting for this Major X series to kick off. I hope it was worth it. Um, now, the battle we get between him and the essential aura was... 
anticlimactic? I guess it's a nice and fair way of putting it, right? Though, it begs the question, if the Essential has the power to travel through time and space, why then didn't he just take the Major to the year 2019 at the friggin' Watchtower? What was the point of going to Genosha? Did the Essential need Aura's body in particular? Did, was that the only body he can inhabit? Will the reasons for this come up again? Probably not. Or did Rob just really want to include a female hero here? I don't want to plainly say that none of this makes sense, so I'll just say it's nonsensical. Is that fair? Uh, <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm being a bit too diplomatic, but... I mean, you guys know me by now. If there's a fence in view, I'll, I'll ride that sucker till it breaks. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean that in any sort of gross way. It's just, a, uh, I guess, a euphemistic way of me saying I don't like taking a side and I don't like saying things that are too negative. What else? What else? Um, now, the X-Men scene at the end of the issue. Uh, even though I'm like 90, 95% sure that this story is happening in the prime Marvel universe... It feels totally disconnected from anything and everything that feels real, right? That said, I mean, this scene was weird. Um, I'm not sure how the Major and company managed to infiltrate the X-Mansion, especially considering the last time he tried that, in this very series, he found himself attacked by a bunch of heavy hitters. Here, though, they just casually saunter into the study for a chat. I guess maybe we can lampshade that by saying the essential aura made that possible, but eh, I'm still not completely buying it. Also, can't let go of the fact that none of the X-Men, including Beast, mentioned that, you know, McCoy is there. That's <laughs> uh, another one of them suspension of disbelief challenges, but I mean, what can I even say? Uh, the big reveal, which I'll give them, was brand new information. You know, despite the fact that we figured it out pretty quick here on the show... I mean, Storm was on the cover of Major X number one, despite not actually showing up until, like, right now. So it wasn't like we were using Batman levels of detectivery here, right? It's, uh, it's one of these things is not like the other, so she must fit somewhere. But it was new. The confirmation, anyway, was new. And I suppose maybe that there was at least one reader out there who gasped at this last page, right? I mean, at least one, right? Maybe? Hopefully? I don't know. The art here was uh, serviceable, uh, just like the other issues that uh, Peoples penciled. Though it's worth noting that the design of Aura is all over the place. There are panels here where she looks facially like a toddler, and others even on the same page where she looks menopausal. It's very uneven, very off-putting, just uh, the design on Aura needs some work. Uh, Rob will be back on Art Duty's next issue... I mean, your mileage may vary if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm looking forward to it, personally, but uh, I'll leave that for, for everybody else to decide. Overall, the series started off very fun. Then, it became sort of fun to poke holes in. Now, it's not even really fun to do that. It's a toughie, and I gotta wonder how other folks who have read this uh, feel. Uh, please let me know your thoughts on on Major X here. If if you've made it this far, um, if you've made it this far in this in this audio series I'm giving you, I would assume that maybe you'd have a thought or two on the quality of this story and just the uh, sensical or nonsensical nature of it. So please uh, let me know your thoughts. I'm very excited to hear what you guys think. Um, 
I think I talked a couple episodes ago about how this was sort of a sort of a flash in the pan, despite the fact that they touted that like every single issue sold out before it hit the shelves, which is a whole other kettle of fish that I hate. But uh, the first issue had many, many, many reviews, um, relatively speaking, of course. This issue, uh, Major X number five, can't really find very many reviews on it. It's uh, it uh, kind of fell out of uh. Just fell out of favor, fell out of people's interests, it fell out of people's even peripheral vision from the from the looks and sounds of it. But uh, we'll see how this all comes together uh, with the final ep- issue uh, next episode. And oh, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, but that's where we'll leave it for today. I think I've said pretty much everything that can be said about uh, Major X number five. Oh, there was an Atlantean scene that I hated, <laughs> but that. Uh, yeah, that's just me hating Atlantean scenes wholesale, so it doesn't really matter what book they show up in. But that's where we'll leave it, because I think I've said everything that needs saying, uh, at least on my end. Uh, again, I'm looking forward to hearing from other folks what they feel about this series. Uh, if you'd like to let me know, please feel free to do so. I'm I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics or the old Gmail box at uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com there's also the site the, where you can find show notes and blog posts it's chrisisoninfinitearths.com you can leave comments there too I would uh, like to see some there if uh, if you're interested of course I know the blogger format is kind of a pain in the ass and sometimes eats c- complete comments so uh, Twitter and Gmail are probably the easiest way to do so um you can find the entire audio archives for the Chris and Reggie channel at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Uh, I recently got a message from Podbean saying that it's now possible to host many different shows on your uh, on your channel. So maybe I'll start breaking things out to make it a little bit easier to navigate. Um, got to look into it, though, because I'm kind of a scared rabbit when it comes to that sort of thing. So maybe, uh, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. <laughs> But either way, uh, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, where you can find all the noise coming out of this channel. Uh, I want to thank you all so much for hanging out, spending your, possibly your Sunday morning with me here. And uh, till next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.
Nobody's favorite show about nobody's favorite book is back. It is Major X Lapsed, episode 6. I am Chris, you know, same guy as always. Uh, we are going to wrap up the Major X uh, miniseries proper today with uh, Major X number 6. And I tell you what, um, I don't think we have a whole heck of a lot to talk about here. <laughs> but we'll give it the old college try anyway. Um... Okay, this is, of course, Major X number 6, had an August 2019 cover date. It's by Rob Liefeld, words and pictures. Inks, also by Liefeld, along with Corey Hampshire and uh, Adelso Corona. Colors, Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters, VCs, Josebino, edits, Bisa White-Sabolsky, cover price, $3.99, and went on sale June 26th of 2019. Now we open with three entire pages of... Deadpool. Uh, he's talking directly to the camera. And uh, I should make it clear, he is actually not breaking the fourth wall here. And, uh, oh, by the way, gang, did you know that Deadpool breaks the fourth wall? I mean, it's a very obscure detail, and very, very few people know about it, but he totally does it. I mean, you gotta, you gotta pay attention, and you'll, you'll see that. Now, Deadpool is talking to somebody, and he's kind of giving them a hard time for waiting so long to ask for his help. Hell, maybe he's talking to Liefeld himself. Maybe he uh, knows this book could use a little bit of star power. Nah, nah, we're actually going to find out who he's talking to uh, real, real soon. Uh, I mean, this is the final issue, right? So everything's got to... I was going to say everything has to make sense, but no, that that's not the case. Uh, let's let's push on here. We then hop to the present, as of pre-Hoxpox, and it's Traveler's Log 00 2019. So I guess now we have two leading zeros. Those, uh, I would hate to see Major X's Traveler's Logs here because they gotta just be a disaster. Sometimes there's a leading zero, sometimes there's none, sometimes there's two. Who knows? Now, Major X is filling the X-Men in on, you know, why, why he's here. His helmet's back on, so I guess we can assume that he and Mama Storm have already hashed out the details on his parentage. Anyway, suddenly the X-Mansion is attacked by... Old Man Namor, with a leviathan flying through the sky. McCoy looks at the leviathan and comments that it is a savage dragon. To which, I'm, do I even bother? So yeah, Namor, Old Man Namor, he is here to kill Major X. And not only does he have the savage leviathan with him, but there's a whole bunch of boring Atlanteans and also boring Dreadpool. Now, Dreadpool's back to wearing a belt, by the way. I know I've been sticking on that point that sometimes he has a belt, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it has an X on it, like he's in a member of the team. This time, it does not have an X on it. It just has the Deadpool logo, uh, like buckle, like, like he probably found it at Spence's Gifts or something. So naturally, a fight breaks out. During this, the Essential Aura, if you remember her, she's the one who the Essential now inhabits, I guess, Whatever the case, she begins to transform here. She, she ages, and her hair grows very long. And uh, no, this is not me poking fun at the continuity of the art, by the way. Uh, this, this actually... They actually mention that this is happening here, that her hair is getting very long and she's aging. Though I could totally understand the confusion, considering how wibbly her design has been to this point. Anyway, McCoy grabs the aging aura and rushes her away to safety. She won't be gone long. Old Man Namor goes into full-on soliloquy mode, and Imperius rexes a bolt of lightning directly at Storm, which takes her down briefly. 
Dreadpool then beelines it for Jean Grey, claiming that it'll be something of an honor to take out such an important figure in the X-Men. And I will I will hand it to Rob here. He holds off on making the Durher Jean Grey always dies gag, so thank you so much, Rob. Uh, Dreadpool nails Jean with a sonic disruptor gimmick, which actually looks pretty cool. It's like this chakram that he throws that, like, thwips out four wired discs from each corner of it, and then they all go boom. It's, it's a pretty neat visual. I like it. But Dreadpool, his celebration's short-lived because he's suddenly shot in the back by Cable, who comes through a portal. Now, this is a Cable with a long Santa Claus beard and a ponytail, though his hairstyle is very different from the cover, which, I mean, Rob drew both of them. Yeah, we'll just we'll just keep going. Now the Marvel Wiki tells us that this is the cable of Earth TRN seven five seven, which is the Marvel Earth where mutant wars gave rise to the place we know as the Existence. So this would be Major X's real deal, father. Then, I mean, I, I don't know how much how much to put into the wiki here because they also say that this cable's first appearance was Major X one, and I just flipped through Major X one like four times and I couldn't find him. I may have missed him, but I it was just our regular cable in that book. Unless the cable that we thought was our cable was actually the essential cable, I, I don't know. And he, and he looked like, I don't know, I don't know. Deadpool's here with uh, with Cable, and this is the six one six one apparently, uh, and uh, he was the one talking to to this weird Santa Cable during the opening pages. That was our fourth wall breaking deal. So Cable tells Dreadpool to stand down and get away from his mother. To which Deadpool comments, I thought you were Madeline Pryor's kid. To which Cable says it's complicated. Fair enough. So from here, we get a battle of the DPs before Santa Cable breaks it up and knocks Dreadpool to the ground. And I swear, if you look at this page quickly, you'd think that we were reading like an X-Men Brigade crossover. It's... it's very bizarre. Okay, now the real deal Deadpool then unmasks Dreadpool to see who lurks under the mask, under the helmet, or whatever the hell he's wearing. And he's kind of shocked. I mean, we, the readers, don't get any confirmation who is under this mask, but Wade does react. Dreadpool then body slides away, like a luchador had just had his mask yoinked off by a Rudo, you know. Santa Cable then scoops his mother into his arms, and it's as though she's the size of a small child or a large doll, and it's very, very weird. Then he talks to Storm and an unmasked Major X who no longer has dreadlocks. Now he just has like a normal short haircut. Uh, did was, did he stop? I mean, during this during this uh, event, did he go like hit up a barber shop or something? I mean, was it really too hard to draw a few extra lines to keep this consistent with the rest of the series? I mean, not for nothing. This is our main character. The, the sensational character find of 2019, and we can't get a bead on how he's supposed to look? I mean, I'm not trying to go all, you know, Internet Liefeld reviewer here, but there's absolutely no excuse for this inconsistency. I mean, again, this is our titular main character, and we don't know what he looks like from panel to panel. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Cable, Major, and Storm, they stop to have a chat. By the way, Namor and his savage dragon are still attacking the school. I guess it's a good thing old man Namor is noble enough to honor a timeout like this. Uh, most crazy villains probably wouldn't be so patient nor as kind. So, let's get back to the battle. 
Namor stands atop the Leviathan and makes a bunch of crazy threats. Then, the essential aura rises and sends her friendly sentinels crashing into the savage Leviathan, which sends it back to the water, which just happens to be nearby, where I suppose we can either assume it like learned the error of its ways, or it just died. It really doesn't matter, does it? <sighs> Namor then Liefeld lunges toward the X-Men uh, before facing the wrath of the Care Bear Stare. <clears throat> okay. Namor goes to Blast Storm with another bolt of Imperious Rex, but Major X jumps in front of her and takes the brunt of it. He, the Major, that is, then talks a lot about mutant brotherhood and love and friendship. I'm telling you, it, it's the freaking Care Bear stare. Then he he emits energy toward Namor, which knocks him out of the sky. He and the rest of the Atlantean attackers are then a captive audience for the for a lecture from the essential aura, who slaps them all on the wrist for being jerks before sending them to a uh, before a tribunal where they can you know actually be punished for their crimes. Off to the side, Major X decides to inquire what this all means. You know, what of the existence? Aura gives him some spoo about, you know, home's where the heart is. You, you know the drill. Before telling him that he fought with honor and yada yada yada, then she leaves. I mean, that's it. The essential is gone. And, and as far as I know, I don't think we've ever seen her again. Or him. or her. I don't know. We haven't seen the essential again. We wrap up the issue and the miniseries proper with Santa Cable, Storm, and the Major... Where everyone else went, I haven't the foggiest idea. Anywho, the Major laments the loss of his home. Cable then says there are opportunities around every corner. Storm then invites the Major to stay in the 616 and join the X-Men. The Major declines, deciding to continue traveling with his father and McCoy, and that's exactly what he does. Traveler's Log 03034 promises us that his quest will continue, which sounds like a threat to me. Thankfully, if it ever does happen, and if these Traveler Log numbers actually mean anything, we're going to have to wait until the year 3034 for this to happen, so I'm okay with that. Uh, the story is over. That's it. But we're not done with the Major just yet. Because next, in the final... Ep hopefully the final episode of Major X Lapsed We'll be looking at Major X number Zero Because of course it has an issue zero And uh, that will reprint an old Wolverine story With some framing sequences from the Major himself Which will probably teach us absolutely nothing So that, my friends Is Major X And I tell you um, I've been dreading this part of the program Because what can we even say? I mean, this is, uh... You know, one thing. It's exactly what you'd expect it to be, right? I mean, I've been saying that all throughout our little journey here, that if you were to picture a Rob Liefeld comic featuring the X-Men in current year or close to it, this is what you'd get. It's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing. It's just, a uh, to think you'd be getting something else would be foolish So you expect this, you get this And it's like, okay, let's move on with our day Unfortunately, that doesn't really lend itself to analysis Because this thing is, uh... It's bat crap, isn't it? I mean, it's just insane I don't know what's going on from one issue, one panel to the other Um, there are 
so many holes in I like where did the X-Men go? Where where where's the real Namor? Is the real Namor know that there's an old man Namor around? What happened to the Leviathan? Where was the water? I mean, did, did the Sentinels actually take this thing for miles and miles and miles and dump it in the lake or the the, the ocean? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's very very strange. Um, the inconsistencies in the art were. Um, and I hate doing this because this is the low-hanging fruit when you talk about a Liefeld book. And I, I, I'd like to think I'm better than that, but I guess I'm not. Um, the inconsistencies with Major X himself were, uh, I don't want to say unforgivable because that sounds way too harsh, but it's it's stupid. I mean, if we're going to have this character, if we're going to read about this character for several months with, amid all the hype... You know, everybody, I, you know, everybody, relatively speaking, was talking about Major X, and it was like this big shock, and it was hyped, and we can't even get a good character design for the guy. We don't know what he looks like from page to page to panel to panel. I think that's uh, very unfortunate because, especially, you know, we have Rob who who introduces the character, and he has, he looks a certain way. Then we bring in uh, Brent Peoples and Will Spatasio, and they do what they can to make sure they adhere to what Rob did in issue one. Then Rob comes back in issue six and says, screw it, I'm drawing what I want to draw. That sucks. <laughs> Especially when it's our main character. Um, Cable here with the, with the Santa Claus beard. Are we supposed to think that this is the same ca- Cable from issue one, where they were fighting in the danger room, or... I, I really don't know. Um, Major X comes, and we, we can see that he is... That he loves his parents, right? He loves Cable, he loves Storm. He's got a, a wild affection for his parents. But the first panels of this miniseries has him beating the crap out of his father. I mean, what? I... It's so weird reading reading the sixth issue right now, discussing it, and then flipping through the first issue to try to f- see if I can find Santa Cable in there, and just seeing where we started this trip and where we wound up. And I haven't the foggiest idea how we got from point A to point B. This might as well have been just six disparate issues and uh, with absolutely no connective tissue except a... a a garbage pail helmet. Um, I don't know. What else is there to talk about? Well, the existence, the thing that we've been trying to save for six issues, is gone. The essential aura just, you know, looks at the major and says, yeah, yeah, sucks to be you, but it's gone. But remember, home's where the heart is, so just be where your heart is and you'll always be home. And then they just leave. Where are they going? Where do they have to be? Where, where are Cable of the whatever the hell <laughs> universe and Major X going to do next? Does anyone want to know what they're going to do next? Um, oh boy. Um, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the art. Not not so much in regarding inconsistencies, but just the art in general. Um, I mentioned that there's a panel here where where Cable picks up Jean, and uh, it is you, you almost have to see this panel because Jean looks like she is a doll 
in his hands. He is just, he is so wide. He is so huge. He's like an ogre. And he's picking up this tiny, tiny woman. I, I mean, this book has three editors. Uh, how, how, <laughs> how does this happen? I really don't know. And, I, and I'm not a guy who will just bag on Liefeld art. I've tried to make that clear throughout this whole excursion or major excursion or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, not a whole lot more to say. I mean, Namor is the big threat. I, I thought we were going to... For some reason, I thought that this was going to end with the Atlanteans and the mutants putting their differences aside to fight the Administrator. I figured that this would end with with Major X, you know, on his mother bike, going back to the existence and uh, just having a rollicking good time. And maybe we'll see him again, maybe we won't. Whatever. I didn't think that old man Namor was going to be our big bad, and I also didn't think that he was going to go down quite as easily as he did. It was, you know, I mentioned it was the Care Bear Stare, which is exactly what it was. Major X put him down with the power of friendship, and then blasted him with energy. (laughs) It was... Oh, boy. Um, Let me see, what else is there to talk about here? Uh, one thing, one thing that I did want to say that I, I've forgotten to mention, but I've wanted to say this every single episode so far, is one of the reasons why I I was so resistant to buy this when it was coming out. You know, the first issue, I could have gotten it. You know, I could have gotten it the day it came out. I could have just thrown it on my order. People were hyped for it. I had a feeling it was going to blow up in value briefly. But I decided against it because I couldn't get out of my own way. Because I've heard all those old stories, uh, the, old, the old Liefeld stories back when he first created Cable, back in, you know, 1990. And I remember reading an interview where he was either making fun of Louise Simonson or Bob Harris for wanting to call Cable Commander X. And that stuck with me. And then I see that he puts out a book called Major X, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Commander X was too bad a name. Was, was too, you know, corny a name, and we're going to do Major X now. That was one of my sticking points going into it, and uh, I suppose maybe I can be petty and short-sighted, but uh, eh, maybe maybe it was just self-preservation to <laughs> keep myself from having to read this. It's such a shame, because I, I so enjoyed that first issue, just as a, as a fun popcorn romp, you know, but it turned into... Nonsense in the bad way, you know, because the first issue, it was, it was kind of nonsensical, but I mean, that that's what I wanted from it. Um, unfortunately, the pendulum swung just a little bit too far into the, uh, into the bat crap insane sort of a realm where nothing made sense, and I really, I couldn't tell you the purpose of this book other than to make money, which I guess is a, is a noble venture and uh, an obvious one at that, so... I think that's where we will leave it for Major X, the miniseries proper. But uh, like I mentioned, next episode will be the final episode of Major X, where we will talk about Major X number zero, which, like I've said, is a Wolverine story with Major X framing sequences from what uh, my flip through told me of it. So I don't think we're going to get a whole lot out of it, but uh, if nothing else, I am a completionist. So we will... uh, We will resume uh, next time out. So I want to thank everyone for sticking with me through this project here. I've made a lot of comments about this being everyone's least favorite show, and there's a measure of truth to that. But uh, 
I've also received a lot of kind words about this program, and I'd like to reach out and say thank you to everyone who has, um, you know, dipped their toe into some of this uh, 90s cheese with me. So thank you all, and uh, thank you for spending your time here. Now, if you'd like to share your two cents about the major, you can reach out to me at East Comics on Twitter or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat with us about the X-Men on Facebook at 90s X-Men. And you can find the complete Chris and Reggie archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. I think that's where we will drop it for today. One more giant thank you for everyone for hanging out. And uh, till next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and welcome to episode 7, the final episode of Major X Lapsed. Uh, I'm starting to think this day was never going to come. <laughs> it feels like uh, every time we finished an issue, there was uh, there was still just as many left to cover. But, no, we are done here today. Uh, hopefully, we're done here. I don't know if they're going to redo this at any point in the future. This might just be the end of season 1. Uh, let's let's hope for the best. Uh, now this is uh, Major X number zero because, I mean, how else do you evoke the pure '90s gestalt of comics and the industry without having a wonderful number zero issue here? And uh, Major X is no different, though Major X number zero came after the initial six issue miniseries here. So this one was cover dated October of 2019. It's by Rob Liefeld, with inks by Liefeld, Adelso Corona, and Corey Hampshire. Colors, Romulo Fajardo Jr., letters, VCs, Josebino, edits, Bisa white Zabolski. cover price, $4.99. And I hope nobody spent $5 on this to follow along with this show, because I would feel really, really bad if he did.
This one went on sale August 7th, 2019, and uh, it's a weird one. Uh, the credits I just uh, listed are just for the framing sequence of this book here. So we have a beginning and an out, and like an intro and an outro that are set in... Uh, God, I don't know where they're set, but they're new. <laughs> they are new as of August 7th, 2019. It's all new information. Uh, in the middle of the uh, intro and outro is a two-part story from the year 2000. So we're going to go through credits a couple more times today. This is... Uh, a Wolverine story. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you think Major X, Wolverine is probably uh, the first name that comes to mind, isn't it? Yeah, me either. But we're going to do it anyway. Um, let's get into here. Let's get into this uh, this story here. We open, and we're in the existence. And it's after the fall. The fall of what? I haven't the foggiest idea, and it's not going to be made all that much more clear as we continue our way through. Here, we're greeted by an odd fellow in a sort of kind of Major X getup, only his buckethead helmet has wings. Like, if you remember Strife, remember, you know, the cable clone Strife, who had all those, like, giant wings on the side of his helmet? This isn't quite like that, but it's like, he's got, like, one on, a, on either side of his uh, little buckethead helmet. Um, we also see the Major himself... And now he has, like, a reverse brother voodoo hairdo, where, like, all of his hair is white except for a streak of brown. So maybe he's, like, an inverse X-Man as well. Whatever the case, the Major is told that he will be responsible for protecting this realm. Now our camera pans out to show us the Tribunal of Bucketheads stood before our hero, and they are as follows. We have Lieutenant X... Commander X, which I'm pretty sure was a name Rob scoffed at when either Bob Harris or Louise Simonson suggested it for Cable way back in the long ago. Captain X, General X, and of course, Sergeant X. Uh, they really look like the dorkiest assembly of Lego minifigures here. It's very... Ugh. Anywho, they hand the Major the most sacred of arm armaments to be used in defense of the existence. And I tell you what, all you cool kids can keep your X of swords, because in this book, we got a sword of X. Yeah, Major X now wields the sword of X. <clears throat> Commander X uses this as an excuse to engage in a flashback to something that will... not really have much to do with Major X, but it gives Marvel and Liefeld the opportunity to reprint a 20-year-old story that people didn't care for at the time, and probably still won't. So let's get into All Along the Watchtower. Plot and Pencils by Rob Liefeld. Script, Eric Stevenson. Colors, Digital Broom. Letters, Comicrafts, Troy Petiri. Pet uh, edits, Mark Powers and Bob Harris. This was originally Wolverine Volume 2, number 154, cover dated September of 2000. So, it's Wolverine. And he's uh, fresh off a really fun and very brief arc by Steve Scrosi. And now he's fighting a bunch of, uh, like, Liefeld conveyor belt villains. They're being led by Deadpool, which is the actual Deadpool, not Dreadpool. And we've already met, like, most of these losers somewhere in the middle of the Major X miniseries. They are the Scourge, and they include such, such names as Pigskin, Vance Rebus, Deadeye Dick, Megamax, Reckless Eric, who I don't remember at all, and uh, Minnie Max as the Beaver? I mean, did, did I already make that joke? Yeah, probably. Oh, there's also another member, but he doesn't get a name here. So, uh, hey, lucky guy, right? 
Deadpool informs us this group is uh, just like NSYNC, only uglier, just to remind us that it is, in fact, the year 2000. From here, we get like a half dozen pages of Wolverine and Deadpool kicking one another. Wolverine is confused, as were basically all the readers of this comic back in the day. You see, he and we thought that Deadpool was more of a good guy. Because, you know, he was. Deadpool assures Logan that this is not personal, it's just business. And this will actually come to make a little bit of sense as we work our way through this. Finally, Wolverine is struck by like a million tranquilizer darts, which finally puts him down for a bit. And so Deadpool stands around soliloquizing while Wolverine narrates a scene shift. The scene shift... I'm not sure if this is a flashback or just another encounter, and it's not made all that clear. Wolverine is at a dive bar called Swags, I think. Uh, the you know the uh, na- the balloon covers the, uh, the the name of this bar, this fine establishment. Uh, the barkeep he introduces himself as Leon, which believe it or not will be something we're going to have to remember. There's also a waitress who has uh, like the same hairdo that every girl that I knew in junior high school had in the early '90s. It's like where they have like really big thick bangs and then like right behind them a big, I don't know, boomf of hair, you know? It doesn't really matter because she won't have this hairstyle very long. This is a Liefeld book, remember? So consistency isn't key. I'm trying to think of a portmanteau for Liefeld and linearity, but I can't quite make it work because I think that could be a funny term to use from this point on. Anyway... Wolverine and Leon talk a bit about how Logan looks like Neil Young, which ends with our hero threatening to throw Leon through a window or something. As this is going on, Deadpool and the Losers are watching all of this unfold. They're watching him on monitors, because all bad guys have monitors everywhere. Then our friendly waitress, who now has a generic Liefeld shag haircut, she pops in for a flirt. She tells Wolverine to pay Levon, no mind, remember, Levon... Leon. That's not the same name at all, is it? Now, when reading this back, and probably when I read this for the first time back in the year 2000, I probably just assumed that this was more Liefeldian consistency, and that he actually goofed on the name here, Leon for Levon. But shock of shocks, this will actually play into the story. Because you see, this waitress, Janine, calling Leon Levon, doesn't pass Logan's smell test. Our man knows something's up, and, uh, you know, how are you going to argue with such, you know, shocking evidence as some waitress saying the wrong name, right? Wolverine winds up putting Levon down, and he knows something is afoot. Then Janine, with her third hairstyle in three pages, it's, it's grown about a foot and a half here, pulls out a pair of uh, Mark 69 Liefeldian rifles that appear to have been drawn in after the fact because she's holding them in a completely impossible way. Oh, and also her tube top now has, like, Ultimate Warrior fringe on it, which it didn't have a panel ago. Deadpool, he's still watching on the monitors. He's watching this all play out, and he is not happy to see the waitress going into business for herself. And so he orders that the bar be blown up. (sighs) Then the Wolverine and the Scourge fight. So, um, maybe this was a flashback? Or or was it? Because this fight scene plays out completely differently than the first one. This is like they just had two fight scenes, they didn't know which one to pick, so they put them both in there. Very bizarre. This one consists of Wolverine pummeling the Scourge for a handful of pages before being confronted by the Administrator. Oh, and we also have to turn the comic 90 degrees to read this page because it's one of those. 
Now, the administrator backhands Wolverine, but he himself cannot be hit because it's, you know, that hard, hard light hologram gimmick or some such nonsense. So that's, and that's actually something we did see in the Prime Major X miniseries, so I guess yay for some consistency. Anywho, the admin tells Logan that he is the future, and more on that in just a little bit. Uh, we shift scenes to the Watchtower, uh, where we get a better idea of why Deadpool is playing along with the administrator and the losers. You see, there's this blonde woman floating in a stasis tube with, like, a tubes in her mouth, and he was promised that she would be helped if he joined up. So this blonde, by the way, is supposed to be Siren, who Wade had the hot pants for during the 90s. The gimmick here is that Siren had her vocal cords cut in a then-recent issue of X-Force. This was X-Force number 91, June 1999 cover date. It was a battle with uh, the New Hellions, I believe. And so Deadpool, since he's got the hot pants for her, wants to help make her whole again. Why she has blonde hair? I haven't the foggiest idea. Uh, We wrap up with Wolverine at the Watchtower, strung up by his ankles. The administrator promises to make him their greatest weapon. As luck would have it, the Watchtower must have, like, a lot of shadowy areas, because it turns out there's enough room to hide an entire team of brand new guys in one of these shadows. We got a man with a headband and the beginnings of a Liefeldian broccoli florette hairdo. He notes Wolverine's position and, you know, the fact that they need to save him. His teammates are Cargo, Hardwire, and Shooter. Uh, The fella rushes out of the shadows and he KOs the one guy left guarding Wolverine. They left one guy. One friggin' guy here to watch over Wolverine. Their, Their ultimate weapon here, their greatest weapon. They leave him under the watchful eye of Reckless Eric. You know, Reckless Eric. Oh, what, what can you say about Reckless Eric? We wrap up, and suddenly the administrator's back in the room. He's not doing anything. He's just there marveling at how ridiculous the perspective is on this page. And we see our new crew. We have that generic Liefeld hero. We got a really big guy with a white face and, like, electro dreadlocks. That's Hardwire. We got a big ball of electricity. That's Cargo. And we got a young girl with goggles and uh, and hair that would make that dude from Kid and Play take pause, and that is Shooter. Oh, and Wolverine, he's ready for action again, too, only he's not looking at the administrator. He's looking at us. The administrator's, like, in the bottom, like, if the page was a clock, the administrator is at, like, four or five o'clock, just in the corner, staring forward. Everyone else is looking at us. Yeah, it's kind of, it's like a page you kind of have to see. It's like color forms run amok. Um, it's probably worth noting that the generic Liefeld hero character, he refers to the administrator as father, because of course he does. Next, all along the Watchtower, part two. Plot and pencils, Rob Liefeld. Script, Eric Stevenson. Colors, Digital Broom. Letters, Comic Crafts, Troy Petery. Petery? One of those. Edits, Mark Powers and Bob Harris. This originally appeared in Wolverine, Volume 2, number 155, and this was October 2000 cover day. Here, Wolverine and his new friends are stood before the Administrator and the Scourge, because the Scourge, the Scourge shows up. Then, duh, a big fight breaks out. Wolverine gets another one-on-one encounter with the Administrator, who grabs our hero by his throat. But when Wolverine swipes at him, of course, his claws just phase right through because, oh ho, hard light energy projection hologram gimmick. The administrator then talks a whole bunch. He says once Wolverine has served his purpose, he'll he'll mean less than nothing to him. So he has purpose, 
But after that, yeah, he just won't be of any any more use to uh, the Scourge, the Watchtower, the Administrator, whoever. Uh, the generic Liefeld hero says that the hard light gimmick is one of his father's favorite tricks, so there's that. The fight rolls on. Wolverine asks for some more details about the Administrator, but our generic hero ain't telling. He says it's too complicated a story. What we do find out is his name, because this hero says we can call him Geronimo Crow. Which, I mean, do we have to? (laughs) Because, come on. Uh, Crow explains that he used to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which, I mean, I think I've been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you've been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., who hasn't been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point? But now he and his crew are trying to take down the Watchtower. Wolverine is uh, flabbergasted. He's surprised he's never heard of the Watchtower before, to which Crow kind of pulls rank. He puts Wolverine in his place, and he suggests that the X-Men don't deal with the real threats in the world, like... The Watchtower. Crow then asks Hardwire to scan the place to see if there are any more mutants present. This facilitates a scene shift to the room where Siren is being kept in that tube. Deadpool is still there watching over her when the gigantic Hardwire bursts through a wall. Wade compares it to a dreadlock sentinel, and he's not far off. Then we turn the page sideways to see yet another scene of Wolverine and Deadpool striking and swiping at one another. So, how you all liking this issue of Major X? Good stuff, right? Yeah, we're learning a whole lot about Major X here. Uh, From here, three more pages of fighting and tough talk from Wade and Logan. Geronimo and his crew then surround Deadpool, or maybe Deadpool just gets tired because the fighting just stops. They just decide, hey, time out, you know, we're not going to fight for a minute. Wolverine asks for some more information, and ain't nobody, (laughs) nobody's giving him any information. He's just like... Can anybody help me out? And that, I feel like he is our point of view character here because so many of us are just like, what's going on? And nobody's given us answers, and it's very frustrating. Shooter then uh, shoots Deadpool, which sends him flailing into the tank that's holding Siren, which is like the most impossible thing ever because this tube, if you can picture a tube, it goes from standing upright to being on its side to being on a slant and back around again. I guess it should go without saying that there are zero backgrounds on this page, so I guess it's all relative. Uh, I guess we can go with that. Maybe it's just Deadpool is weirdly angled. I I give up. Anywho, Wade winds up smashing through that canister tank thing, which causes Siren to wake up, and then she lets out a sonic scream and flies out of the tube, so whatever it was worked. She is now whole again. Her vocal cords are back in business. Now that the jig is up, Deadpool explains himself. You see, he only joined up with the Administrator in order to help Teresa. Teresa, who again is very, very, very blonde here. She's thankful to Wade, but uh, but he kind of hints that he had to do some less than savory things to make this happen. You know, like everything that's already happened in this story. We get a bit of clarification here that Wolverine was a target of the Administrator for his Watchtower chop shop because the baddie wanted to replicate Logan's healing factor. He hopes that Logan's healing factor could heal the world, which doesn't sound too bad, does it? Well, Geronimo Crow certainly seems to think it does. Siren then turns to Wolverine and asks if the fighting is going to continue because if it does, she's going to have to side with Deadpool. Deadpool then suggests, hey, you know, I'm tired, how about I just take Teresa home? And Wolverine doesn't stop him, so bada-bing, bada-boom. 
Suddenly, Wolverine seems far more interested in why Geronimo Crow called the Administrator father. I mean, it's probably because he's his father? Stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, that's not, uh... I mean, how 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 intricate and how deep can that conversation, that answer go? Why'd you call him father? Well, you see, it's a long story. No, it's not. Crow still doesn't bother to answer. And we're never actually going to find out because after this issue, we're never going to see this asshole again. He's gone. We jump to later on, and Wolverine is approaching another Watchtower facility. So we're out of that one. We're into another one. Here he runs into yet another hard light projection of the administrator. And now here, here is where it accidentally gets interesting. Okay? And it has absolutely no reason or right to, but in light of other things we're reading, it's kind of interesting. Here the administrator claims that he wants to replicate Wolverine's healing factor. We know that, right? That's that's old information. He intends to share it with the world, probably for some sort of political clout and leverage, though. Wolverine says, you know what? The governments of the world would never agree to anything like that. Well, that kind of begs the question, isn't that sort of kind of exactly what's going on with the Krakoan magic meds over in the Dawn of X books? How weird is that, right? I mean, what's that thing about the broken clock being right a couple times a day, right? Anywho. Wolverine just leaves. He he leave. He, uh. he catches up with Crow and the rest of the gang to say that he won't rest until he topples the tower. Naturally, we won't see hide nor hair of the Watchtower for 20 years, real time. Uh, and as for Geronimo Crow, Shooter, Cargo, and Hardware, the sensational character finds of the year 2000, well, I hope you enjoyed them while we had them, because they ain't never ever coming back, at least as of this recording and uh, with both fingers crossed. So from here, we jump back into our framing sequence here. We're going to, we're gonna, you know, come full circle, wrap this sucker up. We're back at the existence where we learn the origin of the Sword of X, which we already knew because Major X spilled those beans way back in Major X number one. It's made out of adamantium and it's actually forged from Wolverine's skeleton. Yes, we already knew that. Commander X says that he happened to cross them bones in the final days before the exodus to the existence. He then talks more about how magnificent the blade is for like three pages. It's all about how magnificent this blade is. Then he hands it over to its rightful wielder, Major X. Then the Buckethead Brigade blips out, leaving Major X and McCoy, when the hell did he get here, to begin their adventure. It says the story begins and that's it. That's it. We be we end at the beginning, I guess. Uh, but that's not the end of the issue, because the issue wraps, wraps up with an interview with Rob Liefeld regarding this project. In it, he confirms that he was given carte blanche for Major X, so anything he wanted to do, it's all good. Um, he claims that Major X has been in the works since his first days on X-Force, which, uh, come on, come on, no... He reminds us that the administrator made an appearance in a single issue of the X-Force miniseries, which was X-Force Volume 2, Number 4. That was had a January 2005 cover date. And he hopes to continue building on the administrator and the Watchtower's story, which sounds like a threat. He compares the introduction of Major X to the first appearance of Deadpool back in New Mutants Number 98. 
And you know something? I don't remember people really flipping out for Deadpool back in the long ago. I think that's some revisionist history here because uh, that wasn't a hard book to get back in the day. Um, so I, I don't know that it was... I mean, people liked the character, sure, because it was a Liefeld character, but when you were talking about issues of New Mutants that you had your eye out for, it was the Cable issue. It wasn't the Deadpool issue. So with my recollection, I don't pe- remember people like really losing their minds over Deadpool, so maybe he's not relying here, because uh, people really didn't lose their minds over Major X either. So, yeah, I guess that's a comparable uh, introduction. He uh, claims that Major X, Alexander Nathaniel Summers, is a compelling character. Okay, then. And uh, that's that. And so what do we even say about this? Um, hmm. I don't really know what to say about this, because there was no reason to reprint this Watchtower story. There really wasn't. I mean, for the new information we got here was, what, six pages in the existence of the Bucketheads giving Major X a sword that we already knew the origin of? I really... I couldn't imagine. (laughs) If you paid $5 for this, I'm sorry. Um... The Watchtower story from Wolverine, the one from the year 2000 that we just covered here, it's not great. It's really not great. Uh, The only parts of it that were interesting were the parts that were purely by accident. Unless a young Jonathan Hickman was reading Wolverine number 155 and was like, aha, mutant magic medicine here. We can heal the world. Uh, But I I don't think that's the case. Uh, Even so, I mean... What's the point? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Um, these characters here, I mean, we have Geronimo Crow and the crew, and we never see them again. They never come back. I don't even think they show up when they when they remade the, the Ohatmus. I don't think they got a mention then. And Cal AOL from Marvel got a mention in those. So, I mean, you rank lower than Cal AOL. Eh, maybe we don't need you reprinted. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm looking at my notes here because I was taking notes while I was writing the synopsis, and I couldn't come up with anything. Usually I could come up with something, uh, anything to really just circle back around and maybe reflect on something that happened in the book or something that we learned in the book or something we liked or disliked. I, I got nothing. Um, I mean, we can talk about the the inconsistencies in the art, but we've already done that. We could talk about the inconsistencies in the story, but we've already done that. I can tell you that when this happened in the year 2000, I hated the way Deadpool was depicted because I was I was one of the handful of people who actually bought the Deadpool ongoing series back then. This is before you know people cared about Deadpool, and so I was actually following that, and it was one of my favorite books of the month. And here he was reverted to, you know, uh, an altruistic villain, but still a villain, you know? Um, I didn't like that. I didn't like that uh, Steve Scrosi's, you know, story from Wolverine ended. I didn't realize that it was a short-term thing back in the day, so I was just like, wait, what? (laughs) You know, it just didn't feel... The flow just wasn't there, because that was a really, really... I really, you know, it's been 20 years since I read it, so maybe I wouldn't like it these days, but I really loved it back then, the uh, Scrosi story. So I was very disappointed to see this. 
I felt like it made everything take a step backwards. And uh, what it has to do with Major X, I I couldn't tell you. Maybe maybe there is something forthcoming that'll tie it together a little bit better. I don't know if we should hope for that or not. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I suppose we could talk about the... Not so much the artistic inconsistency within the story, but within the stories here. We have the framing sequence, of course, which is, you know, six to eight pages, right? And they feel wildly rushed. They, they, it's, I mean, absolutely no disrespect, and I'm not saying this to be ironic or to be sarcastic or whatever, but if you look at the Wolverine story, the Liefeld work there is solid. You know, it's exactly what you'd expect from Rob. The framing sequence is shaky. It's not It's not up to the standard of what is in the middle of it. It's very jarring. I don't know if that was on purpose. I don't know if maybe... I don't know. There were a couple of anchors on this. Uh, I really don't know. Um, it makes me wonder. I mean, if we're going to do a Watchtower story, right? And we're going to do this oversized issue... Why aren't we doing it in like an all-inclusive sort of way? Why aren't we including that issue of X-Force Volume 2? You know, if we really are trying to make this like a catch-all for everything you need to know about the Watchtower and everything you need to know about... Because, I mean, we're not learning anything about Major X other than the fact that that he has a sword. But we already knew that. I don't know. I really don't know. This could have been... This could have been an eight-page freebie. Still call it number zero, sure, why not? But to throw two issues of Wolverine from 20 years ago in this thing just to charge five bucks for it, I really just don't have anything else to say. You beat me, Major X, you win. <laughs> You've beaten me senseless and uh, voiceless. So uh, that is Major X, all done. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start moving these over to the official X-Lapsed page at xlaps.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. I'm going to do them all in one little clump there, so uh, it'll be easier to find if anybody has any interest in watching me go from being wildly excited for a uh, miniseries to really having absolutely nothing to say about it over the course of seven episodes. So, yeah, I think that's that. Uh, <laughs> if uh, you'd like to get a hold of me and uh, maybe take me to task for my opinion on this book or... You know, just agree, I guess I'm easy guy to find You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics Or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com um, You can find show notes and blog posts At ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com The Facebook page is at 90sXmen on Facebook And you can hear the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives At ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com I think that's where we will uh, end it for today And end it for good For uh, Major X Lapsed here It's been a wild no not really it's not been a wild seven episodes it's been seven episodes that much i can say as an absolute fact but uh for those of you who hung around for all seven of them it really means a lot to me i appreciate you spending your time here with me and the major and mccoy and uh, we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed that we'll never have to again i mean does that mean maybe that's mean i don't know <laughs> i will say I will say before we do cut out of here, I will. I would be very jazzed if uh, the Sword of X somehow made its way into X of Swords. 
I think that's a that's a license to print money right there. We can have the major uh, as part of the X of Swords, X of Tens, whatever we're calling it, uh, event. Uh, he could be the linchpin that uh, that fixes everything or destroys everything. I, I don't know what the story's about yet, so he'll be the linchpin that does something important. That's uh, you heard it here, probably for the fourth or fifth time. So anyway. That's where we'll leave it. One more giant thank you to everyone for hanging out and sharing their time and choosing to listen to Major X Lapsed. Uh, and as always, uh, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>